Hey everybody, we're here. It is time to talk about season seven at last after a long, long wait. So we have a lot to talk about and we're so excited to be back with you all again here for new Game of Thrones material. Some of us just love new stuff, whatever it is, as long as it has to do with Game of Thrones and the TV show, it's pretty awesome. We obviously had a lot of expectations and I think for this first episode, there's a lot of setup. I'd say there wasn't a lot of action other than the opening scene, which, you know, was a pretty epic moment. A lot of setting up for the season and a lot of preparing us for big epic storylines. What are your first takes there, Sean? I thought it was awesome. I think it's one of the best episodes of the series. I, I also recognize that I'm less excited about action in the first place than a lot of people are. I don't mind the action, but I really appreciate the action more when you have this build-up, this character development. And this episode did a great job with it. And from a I say this a technical standpoint, filmmaking standpoint, it was a pretty outstanding episode too. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm usually less aware of filmmaking techniques and stuff. The more we cover different TV shows with our other show, Fandom Media, and as long as we've been covering Game of Thrones and talking to people like you who are very aware of those, Ashea as well, who's running our production as usual, she's also very aware of those things. So between the two of you guys, you point a lot of things out to me, and I've started to catch on to more of those things. And yeah, this episode was beautiful. I mean, usually they save a lot of their best scenery for battles things like that but there were just beautiful shots of the castles dragonstone was fantastic looking yeah. the north looked incredible that si the sight of the the walker army marching was incredible all the snow and everything cersei and jamie looking out to the sea yeah and that big painted floor of what yeah. like yeah just the visuals alone you could watch the episode with no dialogue and it would still be pretty impressive you'd wonder what they were talking about but <laughs> it would still be pretty good Okay, a couple of announcements before we get into the meat of it. I'm going to start off by reminding you all that we are doing a book-to-show episodes as well. This is show only. We're not going to talk about any book spoilers, no book crossover at all. We have a whole nother set of episodes with our friends over at Radio Westeros who will be joining us for the third year in a row. And that is where we will take all sorts of book-oriented questions. We're going to see what we can gather from the show as to predict what's going to happen in the books, there's still a few parallels, still a few storylines that are sort of still parallel at this point. But most of them, obviously, the show has moved past the books. We're also going to be taking some live questions. For these show-only reviews, we're going to try to take questions as much as we can. We're going to try to start the live stream the same time every week around 7 uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We would like to vary that up sometimes, but unfortunately, real-world work schedules make that a little more difficult. So we, have, we don't have a lot of flexibility and, of course, we want to get it out as quickly as possible because the episode was the night before. Um, I also want to mention that if you are listening to us on podcast, definitely use the Acast player. It's a free download from whether you use an iPhone or a Droid or anything. And the big benefit there is that the images that we use in these videos are also present in the podcast. I know that sounds weird, but yes, audio-only podcasts we are adding images to. You can scroll through them on your phone at your leisure or during the episode if you have free hands while you're listening. So it's really cool. You get to see more about what we're talking about. It's a different experience. It's like leveling up your, your podcast game. You do miss out on our beautiful faces, though. That's true. We don't usually include <laughs> images of ourselves. But if you ask for that, maybe we'll accommodate. <laughs> also, if you're keeping up with us during the season, you want to be up to date on everything, one of the best things to do is to follow us on Twitter, at Westeros History right here, at Dancing Sean right here. Ashea is at Miranese Not. We use Twitter. We use Facebook. We use a lot of social media, but Twitter is the best sort of quick interaction. We always post our announcements on there, and sometimes we post polls. 
polls are going to be useful this season. We're going to get y'all's feelings on a few things. For example, we posted a poll on what people thought Euron's gift was this episode. So we'll we'll get into that a little later. Sometimes we post haikus. <laughs> Sean has been doing Game of Thrones haiku so far this year. Pretty solid effort so far. Y'all can join in with him and uh, post your fun stuff there. Quick shout out to our patrons. Lord Mark of House Joseph, the snow in Winterfell. Uh, rider of Masula Cartho, White Dragon with green wings, horns, and talons. Mark gave us a couple of good questions today, too, that we're going to get into. Also, thanks to our History of Westeros first sword. That is Jeff Gnarly the Long Snapper. And that is, these are two very valuable patrons that help keep History of Westeros going. We do not have consistent corporate sponsors. We do get them occasionally, but our patrons are consistent, and that is what enables us to do this as often as we do. Two episodes a week, lots of editing, and lots of gathering of your questions. It's a fun job, but it does take a lot of time, does take a lot of effort, so we're very appreciative of those of you who support us. And with that in mind, there is a new feature that we, a lot of our compatriots around the YouTube world are using for their live streams. It's called Super Chat. We are using Super Chat. You can give a live donation to the stream as we're going here, and it'll keep your question up on the screen longer. So it helps make sure that your question gets noticed, and of course, the extra revenue helps us buy new equipment and keep the show going and eat and you know <laughs> pay rent and all those things. So let's get to it. Let's start with The Wall. Bran and Mira arrived. That was widely predicted. The trailers kind of gave that away. It was fairly straightforward. Not a whole lot came of that scene. We kind of knew what was going to happen. They were going to let him in. Ed questions them, but there's, he's not going to just let them sit out there, you know. It's fairly straightforward, but also fairly just a tease, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Reminding us that this is happening, setting it up, but we didn't get much to it other than they're there. Yeah, except for maybe Bran's vision of the walkers and the the snow, like the mist following them. It's like we've always heard the legends that the White Walkers bring winter with them. You can see it visually there. And that was really cool. And then, of course, as you see the army marching by, you're like, wait, what, what's that back there? And you're like, holy crap, a giant, a dead, oh, multiple dead giants. <laughs> that was so cool. That's an amazing visual. And just to clear it up, there's no chance that was 1-1. A lot of people are asking if that could be 1-1. I think that's basically literally impossible. John saw one one die. We all saw one one die at Winterfell, and I really don't think John would, you know, transport the corpse back north of the Wall or not burn it. I think he burned that body. They probably burned all those corpses. John, of all people, knows better. And even if he didn't, how did that corpse get back north of the Wall? Yeah, <laughs> it just doesn't really make sense. There's plenty of giants out there. Well, maybe not so many anymore. Maybe not plenty. Plenty of corpses. <laughs> Plenty enough that we could have some be part of the zombie army without one one being one of them. Right. I mean, you would expect that decomposition would happen very slowly in a cold, frigid setting like that. So any time the walkers and their big army of the dead just come across a dead giant, well, add that to the army. (laughs) You know, that's something that occurred to me just now. In my mind, those giants would have been defeated by the White Walkers. There would have been some sort of battle. They kill them. Then they resurrect them. But it occurs to me... Some giant that just died of a fever 300 years ago, they're getting resurrected too, right? That's totally true. It's very, very um, interesting and kind of overwhelming how much power they have in that regard. And we have yet to see what they do inside the realms of men. That's something we're going to be talking about this episode and presumably in future episodes as this gets closer to really happening. And... We may see, we may be surprised. The thing I've been widely predicting is that we'll see whites, people we care about. We'll see some bodies of people that we know well, probably ones that we had a particular fondness for, 
and that's going to hurt. <laughs> I've already alluded to that or set that up with the the children of the wildlings. Do you remember that? And uh, yes, the hard right. home episode with right? Carsey. Yeah, good point. Good point. So it, it's going to be yeah, that was maybe a preview of her feeling bad, and we're going to feel her pain when we see, you know. I don't know, a Dolores Ed White or, you know, hopefully not Hodor White. That would be, oh, that would be so painful. Oh. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Ooh, got to pause. And all right, everybody, moment of silence for Hodor. <laughs> Ooh, that's rough, huh? Okay. Uh, so there's not a whole lot left with the wall, but we have a question here from Pam Plain and Tall, patron supporter. Thanks very much. We have Bran has now passed through the wall. Does that mean the Night King can now pass as well as it did with Blood Raven's cave? Or is there no magic in the TV wall? Not sure if it has been mentioned. Is it merely structural? Benjen does specifically mention that there are spells woven into the wall that mean the dead can't pass. So it's not the same magic, maybe related to what Blood Raven had, the Three-Eyed Raven had protecting his cave. So I don't think this means they can pass just because Bran did. Because that seems to be maybe related magic, but different. Do you have a, any other take on that? Or is that kind of how you feel? Yeah, that's a... Theory, I guess, that I've been seeing for a while is that somehow Bran will be connected or cause inadvertently or otherwise enable the White Walkers to come through. And I've been suspicious of that. I have a hard time exactly saying why. Just that, I guess, fundamentally, because I, I don't think it'll be that easy. It all, it'll kind say, of already happened, yeah. too. Like, he, he accidentally let them in the cave. That was his mistake, right? He, he, he reached out too far, got touched by the, by the king, Night King, and then that was able, that, that brought them to his hideout. I don't know if Bran will make the same mistake twice. I mean, of I, course, maybe he can't help it because the mark's already on him. But Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm misremembering or if it, they weren't clear in the first place, but I seem to remember in my mind what that did was alert the Knights King to where he was, not necessarily remove all ba magical barriers. You know, right. I'm not sure. And maybe it did remove all magical barriers to the place where Bran was at that moment, but to all magical barriers anywhere on the planet, you know. Recall sure. that the Night King was wary. Remember when they approached that's, the yeah, opening to the cave, right. they tested it first. Yeah. They had, and they wanted to make sure it was broken. They didn't try to enter. They were very wary of it. Once they saw that they could go in, then they did it. So that was really interesting. That they show, it showed them a little, a little strategy, a little concern for the magic. Once it was out of the way, they went ahead. So, yeah, we could be seeing something like that. Maybe they'll show that same kind of caution whenever they break through the wall. They'll have some of the regular dead guys go first. They've got plenty of those. <laughs> that is another thing that I think about is that even if they are enabled to go through the wall because Bran unwittingly removed some hex, it's still how many are going to fit through that little corridor at once? You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like the 300. You know, they might there might be scores of thousands of them but they can only fit 30 at a time through you know what i mean and so it seems like you just set it on fire or have a bunch of dudes with arrows there you know it's a, dig a trench and put another barrier in front it seems like they could hold off for a long time especially when you get more and more support and resources up there thanks for the donation there lucid horizon live donation our first super chatter of all time thanks very much i don't see a question from you so we appreciate the the donation if you've got a question Make sure to enter it in there. Shay will keep an eye out for it, and so will we. I one of the okay. Let's move down to the north. Let's go to Winterfell. Let's talk about John. We have for a minute. He starts off talking about logistics, about getting together the dragon, uh, dragon glass, and arming people, and then training people. And they have this great moment with Lyanna, being like, "Yeah, the women are going to fight too." Period. You know. By the way, funny moment when we were getting ready for the premiere. We had a gathering over here, you know, um, a small, robust gathering of, of obsessed fans like us. And we had the, the last episode of last season on, season six, episode 10. And 
we're all milling about, people are chatting, people are talking, and then all of a sudden Leanna Mormont gives her speech and the whole room goes quiet. We're all just like, oh yeah, Leanna Mormont's talking, let's pay attention. It was really something. I was like, looked around like, everyone stopped. What's up? Oh, Leanna Mormont's talking. No wonder. <laughs> and yeah, she just really dominates. So I expect to see more of that. We already, that was one of our predictions that she would steal scenes. Already yeah. happened, like within the first 10 minutes, so... That that's one. We're one for one. We really went on a, out on a limb making that <laughs> yeah. bold prediction. <laughs> that was a very bold prediction indeed. But it was it was really well received, and it was a good it was a good comment. She's like, yeah, we all have to fight. Like every single person's got to do. That's how serious this is. And Lord Glover didn't really argue. He's like, kind of realized that. Yeah, I was kind of falling back on old habits, but y'all right. Yeah, we need everyone <laughs> doing this. And that's the thing the show does not do a lot of is. Talk about logistics. There's several p- issues in this episode that people have brought up to us that we've noticed ourselves that just maybe don't quite fit. It kind of, but it's also the normal. It's also the norm for not just Game of Thrones, but for TV because logistics are interesting, but they're, and they're obviously you can't get around war and battles without dealing with logistics, but there's only so much time. And if you're going to cut something, I can see why you would cut that, of all things. You know, I certainly don't want them to cut drama. I don't want them to yeah. cut character interactions. Maybe you can cut a little action for that. I wouldn't mind that too much, but I don't want it too, you know, I don't dislike the action. I don't want to get <laughs> too know, far. You know, I like the action, but. I don't want to get too far off our topic because we're going to talk about this more, but I constantly think about logistics. And like you said, it's just the norm in entertainment to not account for that. Every now and then they account for it when suddenly it's affecting the plot, you know. But that whole sequence with Sam changing out the pots, like, that's life. That's real life. Everyone in Westeros goes through this. Everyone in real life now, we all have toilets. We just flush, like, just press a button and it's done for. But in this time period, that's a chore of daily life that has to be gone through. And think how that gets multiplied when you have armies of thousands with horses traveling, needing to be fed. You know, that has to be kept up with. And it's not the reason we're all tuning in to watch Game of Thrones yeah, is to watch them deal with shit. Because right? they could do a whole, but, they could do like half of every yeah. episode could be just, just dealing with yeah. that stuff. And But I do appreciate when they do address it, when there is a moment when a leader gets up and says, hey, we need to get organized, we need these materials, we need this training. I appreciate, even if it's not perfect or as has as much attention paid to it as maybe quote-unquote should, I appreciate that they are doing it, at least some. I understand where they're coming from. Obviously, I'm like you. I would prefer to see that, but I totally understand why it's not there. It's also a thing, again, um, it's an opportunity to show John's leadership. Does that make sense? It had a two-for-one role here, maybe yeah. a three or five-for-one. But in Lord of the Rings, when all the armies come together to, to fight under Aragorn, it's a chance for him to be a leader. I'm frustrated with it, with that because instead he just leaves and doesn't tell anyone. You know? yeah, but yeah. it was a chance. That the, he's supposed to be this great leader. It's a chance for him to be this great leader. Say, hey, I'm going to go get this other army. In the meantime, you guys make sure the horses are fed. Someone make sure the archers flank from the left and so on and so on. But instead he just leaves out talking to anyone. And so often the characters presented to us as leaders... They just, like, have a sword and go fight. They don't actually lead. And we see John actually leading. And a lot of this show has been about people having to actually lead and not just be in charge or just be threatening. They actually have to make tough decisions. We see it later with Cersei asking Jamie, where are they going to land? And again, we need some details here. Definitely, definitely. I love that sequence uh, when she makes her little speech. You know, I, I say I feel like when I say she makes her little speech, I'm demeaning her speech. I don't mean to be. <laughs> She's a little person making uh, a big yeah. speech. <laughs> when she makes her big speech, the the camera angle it cuts from her 
to Sansa, and Sansa kind of brightens up, and a little half-smile comes on her face as she hears these points being made. And then it cuts to Brienne, and Brienne has this same sort of, like, like squares right her shoulders, and I'm like, wow, there's some truth being spoken here, you know? <laughs> and showing Brienne really backs the point up to it. It's like, yeah, women can fight. Like, especially that one, yeah, you know, who, yeah. who, you know, we later hear Littlefinger bragging about how she beat the Hound. I wonder if anyone who might have had an instinct to, to be opposed to this... Brienne's presence made them think twice, you know, like anyone who said anything, Brienne would have been like, I'll challenge you right now. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> like, so we have this Karstark Umber situation, which I think is really interesting. There's a lot of subtext to this this interaction. Sansa is kind of playing the ruthless card. Like, no, they're traitors. Done. Be, you know, get rid of them. John has a more measured approach and he understands how valuable it is to have continuity with rulers that have, especially rulers that have existed, families that have ruled these areas for so long. You know, there's that saying, there should always be a Stark in Winterfell. And there may be a magical component to that, but it's also just a cultural thing that indicates how successful the Starks have been as rulers. As long as the Starks are in charge, things are going to be good. That's that's the the more forward idea that's being presented with that there may be more to it but it's the same thing for you i bet you go to well umberlands or the Karstark lands and they're like yeah as long as the umbers are ruling here we're in good shape and the idea of somebody new being over them after thousands of years well there's always going to be an adjustment period and there's there's difficulties with that they have to get to know everybody there's a lot of reasons it's another thing that logistics would cover right. why that's you don't, so difficult you don't want to go through an adjustment period when you're trying to raise an army to fight this huge force that's coming exactly there's already established systems and relationships and everything it would have to be rebuilt not to mention the precedent john i mean john made great points he's like i'm not gonna punish children for their parents indiscretions unlike aria no <laughs> <laughs> no actually aria starts to understand that too we'll get to that in a bit but that was that was an interesting parallel the, the comparison of how john conceived sins of the father versus aria who you know wiped out all the phrase yeah. because of the sins of the father. Although in this case, those those phrase probably all had probably all were involved. They, yeah, yeah, so they were at least somewhat involved. Uh, the comment this comment from Anthony Gonzalez is really on point. What I like about Winterfell, the Winterfell scene was the contrast. Back to season five, when Aziz mentioned how John told his brothers in the watch that he was going to allow the wildling through the wall, but didn't take the time to fully explain his position. That was John's problem. He was more like, "Do what I say, you know, accept my authority," without. You know, without explaining himself. And that really hurts morale. And that sort of led to his assassination. His assassination that didn't, that didn't take. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, they did stab him a lot. And in this case, John is sort of learning from his mistake. He did put his foot down. He's like, no, Sansa, it's my call. And this is what's happening. But he explained it. He didn't just say, nope, my call, period. And that's a big, that shows some maturity. Right, I was going to say, it does show maturity, but I don't know if it's necessarily... I, I want to defend John a little here. He was immature, but his mistake wasn't not saying it. His mistake was not having the thought formed in his own mind. Mm. Does that make sense? He has this instinct to do the right thing, but he can't express it necessarily. Does that make sense? Uh, everyone's thoughts, as I try to get this out right now, <laughs> don't get perfectly <laughs> expressed, especially like to a group of people ready to challenge you. You know, you're yeah. in a young, new leadership position with a bunch of people who maybe have right over your position than you, you know, and you have to assert yourself over them. And and it's not like you're completely right and they're completely wrong. They also have strong arguments. And just because he hasn't gathered his thoughts in a perfect way to convince everyone to follow him doesn't mean he's not right or isn't going to make this decision. But he's had some time now, right? He's 
grown up a little bit. I not many of us have died and come back. <laughs> he's got a little bit more life experience and death experience to be working with. So he's more prepared and able true. to communicate his thoughts, to make his arguments. And that's really poignant because Sansa brings up, first of all, she says, you know, when they're behind, he, he talks about don't undermine me and all that. And she says, okay. You know, basically she kind of accedes to that. It's like, you're, that's a good point. You know, I shouldn't undermine you, but you should listen to me. I do have experience. I was around Cersei. You know, he points out, you sound a lot like Cersei. And she's like, well, I did learn a lot from her. Like Cersei is cruel, but she's not without an understanding of politics. She made plenty of mistakes, you know, she's, but she's clearly does a lot of things right and understands how a lot of things work. Two things I would also like to point out how much Sansa is like Cersei now. I, I, I swear to God, I, I would bet money that she gave, she got specific direction from, you know, a, a coach or a director or someone like, act like Cersei. <laughs> how use that face, keep, keep your face stone. You know, the writing was the same sort of like quips, you know, kind of slightly belittling the, you know, showing her understanding, but yeah. putting someone in her place. I, I thought it was well written and performed there. But also I want to point out, Sansa learned from a lot of people beyond Cersei. Like Cersei made an effort to actively teach Sansa things. So did Littlefinger. Mm -hmm. And she also saw other people manipulate or fail to. She learned from her own father the mistakes that can be made. She's done a lot of learning beyond even what Cersei taught her. It may even come into play. We have a commenter here saying from Meredith Grace saying that Sansa's knowledge of Cersei may help defeat Cersei, depending on how that all goes down. And I'd also like to add that when Sansa, actually, before I say that, one thing Sansa learned from Cersei is how to rock a wig. Because Sansa's wearing a wig this year. She had, her hair is, she dyed her hair blonde and didn't want to go back to red, so she's wearing a wig. And, and it's the same kind of wig Cersei was wearing. And her hair is very similar to Cersei, except it's red. So <laughs> something else they have kind of in common that's uh, a little under the, under the radar there. Also, though, when she says, you know, you're good at this. She says to John, you're good at this. And that's a really meaningful thing because, hey, yeah, she has learned a lot. So she kind of has a sense of what's good. Like, she's not super experienced, you know. Like, that would mean more coming from someone who's more experienced. But it means a lot, especially in light of what she says right close to that, which is that she says Rob and Ned made huge mistakes. It's like, I love them, but they made huge mistakes politically. And John made, actually did make a lot of the same mistakes. He just got a second chance by being resurrected. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's, uh, he's able to get that second chance, and it's a big, big difference. If you're a patron of History of Westeros, send your questions in ahead of time as, mu as, as much as you can, because that enables us to look at them and think about them ahead of time. It's really hard for us to tell who's a patron and who isn't in the chat. So please do that if you would like. And with that in mind, we have a, a quote or a question here from our good friend Lucifer Means Lightbringer. That's David Beers, a.k.a. the Mythical Astronomy of Ice and Fire podcast. Good stuff. Also just recently launched his YouTube channel. He says, seems like the R plus L equals J reveal to John is coming next week. That scene where a Northman is saying to John, you can't trust Targaryens. Obviously, after receiving word of Danny's landing or possibly even a letter from Danny, indicates John is going to have to make a decision regarding Daenerys. Seems like the right time for Littlefinger to tell John about his history, right? And the point of that, he expands. He says, pretty easy to see how Peter benefits by John becoming concerned with the throne, the main throne, Iron Throne. Because if he pursues the Iron Throne, then that enables Sansa to take Winterfell, which maybe would is a kind of a clever way to get John out of the way is rather than like execute him or get him killed to have him go up a level yeah. and then the north is you know maybe up for grabs again and Sansa would have the best claim not to mention Bran but let's not worry about Bran right now that's been the direction of my theorizing for a long time that John that 
Littlefinger would want to get John into the Iron Throne so that Sansa could be clearly Queen of the North so that he has a better play to make with her. Maybe his only play, too, because like yeah. you said, like John, he's not going to try to kill John, I don't think. And it wouldn't even necessarily work, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just come back again. All that said, though, I still don't think John would... Maybe theoretically or in the long run, John might care about being on the Iron Throne. But right now, I don't think he cares one bit. I think he's way more worried about the White Walkers in the North. Yeah, I do too. And almost to the point of maybe being a little too distracted. That's something Sansa points out. He's like, hey, yeah, that is the most important thing. But you can't completely ignore what's going on in the South, especially if you want their help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the thing that really is going to get him to, to realize how important the South is. It's not, it's not what's happening down there. It's their ability to help them and aid them against the forces of darkness. <laughs> so I do think that, uh, that LML, that you're pretty much on the right track there, as much as we can all agree. You know, obviously we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I do think that you're, you're on the right track. That's basically, that, that mirrors a lot of our thinking. I do think that's coming soon. And real quick, though, the one little mention, um, it was, I believe that was Bronze Jan Royce that stood up and said, you can't trust Targaryens. Uh, that's a trailer shot. Normally we don't talk about the trailers until the end. That is been our pattern for past seasons. We'll only talk about the next week on after our credits, after our patron credits. But this week, and we're going to do that this week, but this is such a small thing that I hardly think that's spoilery. So Bronzion Royce, of course, is one of the key lords in the Vale. So if the Vale, a key member of the Vale is saying, hey, let's not deal with the Targaryens, you know, let's not buddy up with them. Well, that means a lot. His word carries a lot of weight. Especially if we're expecting Littlefinger to maybe die later in the season. I know you're less sure of that, maybe not even sure at all. But if that does happen, then Bronzion Royce becomes a lot more important. I also think that that moment could be misleading. Like, he could stand up and say that and immediately get shut down by three other people. Like, mm. John, Sansa, and one other lord could all immediately come, come counter his statement. And what might be setting up, you know, a conflict might just be a red herring, you know, to distract us from where things are really going with the preview. That's a good point. Yeah, very much so. Um, okay, well, we have a question here from our Warden of the North, uh, Kabeth the Unfrozen. Why doesn't Sansa just go to the Dreadfort? It's rightfully hers. She can do what she promised, take it down stone by stone, or rededicate it to something different. If something would happen to Jon, she could always step in as the Lady of Winterfell. That is a good point, and I think it might be, but I think it might be one of those casualties of logistics thing. Yeah, she is technically the Lady of the Dreadfort. There's no Boltons left, and even if there were, you wouldn't think that... John wouldn't be as forgiving to them as he was to the Umbers and Karstarks, I don't think. Because this wasn't just one generation of, of them going, this is, the, this is not the first time the Boltons have done this, you know. I think that she, I don't know how much they'll address this in the show, but it makes sense to me that, that sure, that's her castle, she can go there, maybe even she could, you know, achieve some goal there, right? But it's just not what's happening right now. It's yeah. like, imagine if John ordered her to go to the Dreadfort. It'd be kind of like Robert. It'd be it's like Robert giving Stannis uh, Dragonstone, right? Yeah. Like, hey, you go to Dragonstone. <laughs> we're all gonna have a meeting in the King's Council. You know what I mean? She doesn't yeah. want to be left out of everything going on, even if I that agree. is her castle. She's staying where the action is. She probably doesn't have people to like man the castle either. There's yeah. probably a garrison there and some servants. They might be like, yeah, I, uh. and all that might come down the road. But the the matter at hand is getting things organized at Winterfell, securing allies, getting resources, fighting this battle against the White Walkers. The Dreadfort can wait. Yeah, I agree. Although one thing I'd like to respond to that question is the, the notion that she might tear it down. 
She did say that. She did threaten Ramsey that she would tear it down stone by stone. That's probably just a threat to something to, to needle him as he's dying. Because she does immediately say in this scene, when, you, again, Bronzeon Royce is the one who says, tear those castles down. Tear down the Umber Castle. Tear down the Karstark Castle. She's like, the castles are innocent. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we need those castles. wasteful to do something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of effort to tear down a castle. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's even more to build one. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. These castles are super old, and yeah, so I the, think the that... People live there, and it's their the form of defense, and it's, right now we're supposed to be getting ready to fight White Walkers. Why are we going backwards? It, it seems like... I don't like that Royce guy, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, thank you for the Super Chat donation, five... Uh, is that Euros? Yeah, from jo Joseph Michael Holland. His question is, do you think Sansa is afraid of anyone, including Jon, gaining power over her like Ramsay and Joffrey had? I think it's something she would definitely want to avoid. I think she's going to think twice about any sort of marriage of any kind to anyone whatsoever. I'm not sure that she's scared of it, though. I think she's just been through so much that she's tougher now. She she would realize this is something to avoid. But as far as, like, fear, I mean, the kind of fear that Ned Stark says, you can only be brave when you're afraid. Like, yeah. that kind of fear. Like a kind of, I think she's in control of it. But it, it, it's, it's a scary thought, but I don't think she's going to, like, defeat her. I, on one hand, I do think that Sansa is has maybe developed some bravery or maybe was in the first place. But on the other hand, I think she's become sort of numb to what should mm. be scary. She's seen worse things than this. You know, yeah. like, um, you know, wh whoever she married, it would be hard for it to be, if she ever gets married, it would be hard for that person to be bad as Ramsay, even, you know. <laughs> I think she might, <laughs> no like, matter what, <laughs> fear for consequences. <laughs> she might, like, understand negative implications does that make sense and doesn't want them to happen but that's not the same as being afraid does that make sense like uh, like no one wants their house to burn down because you lose all your stuff but the hound is afraid of fire those are two different things you know yeah okay so i think we should uh, go ahead and move on aria uh, she pulls off the great fray slaughter sort of a red wedding 2.0 with minus the wedding <laughs> just the red <laughs> they were drinking Arbor Gold, which was red somehow. I'm not sure how that works, but it certainly uh, went down smooth. Arya is Walder Frey. The implication that she can disguise herself as that kind of opens up the ball game. She can disguise herself as Walder Frey. That means she can do a lot of different disguises. And that's another, there's a lot of logistical problems with this scene that I don't really care about. You know, I'm like, yeah, how did she get the poison there? How did she exist as Walder Frey? How did, how did she get the wine that much distributed everyone without anyone drinking soon. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of problems, but we get the point. Of yeah. The, scene. the bottom is line. No. We can't explain it. I mean, right. we can't, yeah. we just have what to What bothers me it. even yeah. more than the logistical issues that would be there. Cause I, I can accept that they could have spent an effort, a few lines of dialogues, a couple scenes where they set up how that happens, but whatever. But the thing that bothers me about this is it's, I think it's like a, a writing crutch to have her be able to be anyone. It, like, for now on, we have to constantly be suspicious. Yeah, it's like, really, Arya? Is that Arya? Yeah, And I I, I'll tell you what I think is, they if they use it again, it's going to be very sparingly. That's what I think. Kind of like uh, how Bran quasi-time traveled. And there's it's just open up the doors for all this speculation about how, oh, maybe he was affecting the Mad King, or maybe he'll do this. And I guess all those things are possible. But when you take a step back and look at this show or this world that Martin has created... It, that's just not the way he does things. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, like, you're right. Melisandre could kill someone anytime with a demon spirit, but she's only done it once. It's a key moment. It's a unique thing. I don't think Bran just going to willy-nilly travel all around in time and change the past. Yeah. I don't think Arya's just going to willy-nilly travel all around the country 
changing her face all the yeah. time. There's a, it's definitely a theme that there's a cost for magic. Anytime, yeah. you know, death must pay for life. You know, there's a blood yeah. price. There's a, all these things. When, when Melisandre did the, the, her shadow baby, it weakened Stannis because that life force was drawn from him. And, you know, when Daenerys, when her dragons were reborn, like there was obviously a sacrifice thrown in there and some other stuff going on. I mean, that was, that was a different, that was kind of a miracle type situation, but still there was still a cost even for that. There are some, uh, maybe some logistical reasons or some background, you know, details of the world that might explain how or why these things can't be done or can't be done that often. But I think for, for, for my analysis, it's mostly a, um, a literary thing in the same way that, you know, the comet that came, Comments aren't coming left and right, and people aren't even talking about it anymore. But while it was there in the show, it was a, it was like a, a connecting device with segues. You could draw symbolism to it. Some characters speculated on it, but it came and went and it's gone, and that's it now. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's not like we're still pondering about the meaning of the comment. Maybe we should be. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't think that we need to be overly concerned about Bran traveling through time and Arya just randomly being anyone at any moment. Yeah, you know? it'll it'll be it'll happen again, but it won't just be a constant thing. I agree. Yeah. Now we have, uh, I think Jacob Langsdale here in the chat has figured it out. She went and got hot pie to come help her out <laughs> oh, in the kitchens oh. there to do all that stuff. Like she baked, he probably baked that pie last last season too. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I think I think that I think that's uh, totally on point. Good call there, Jacob. Okay, um, let's talk some more about Arya. Moving on to her other scene, she runs into these these soldiers in the woods and well, man it was like uh oh what's gonna happen here you know is she gonna kill all these guys and then you can see she's kind of like it was really well done camera work you can see how she's taking note of where all their swords were and all their swords were far away and she's like oh i could just take them all out couldn't i mm -hmm. but they're so nice to her and i don't know about you but i was suspicious of their niceness i'm like are they just trying to lure her over so they can you know like rape her or something awful like that what is going to happen here i'm like i was like worried about the worst possible thing happening also she had like a sword she was well equipped you know what i mean yeah, for yeah maybe they wouldn't take her road, stuff yeah. or something yeah maybe they want her whore i don't know you know we're not used to seeing soldiers portrayed so kindly like this and that was but that was the point i like i really liked the scene i think a lot of people did but a lot of people didn't a lot of people thought it was filler but the undertones in this scene were amazing she specifically is like no i don't want your food but then they're just so insistent they're so nice and she's and they say guests first she accepted guest right she ate their food yeah. then she couldn't kill them anymore uh because that meant she'd be a huge hypocrite and second of all you know and if she truly believes what she's saying you know then she's not going to do that but also just they were just so nice and she just was like these are regular people that have and they talk about where they've been she tries to ask them like where they've been and there's she can't there's nothing she can pin on them they're like yeah we're just here to keep the peace we haven't done you know we weren't part of the siege we weren't this we weren't yeah. that there's like no crime she can pin on them except for being lannisters it was like yeah i have so many things to say about this scene it, I think it's one of the best of the series. I think I think this episode was one of the best of the series, and I think this scene was one of the best of this episode. Not only, like you said, was it good film work and character development, the way you see her scanning around and sizing up the scenario, but it also, as it as it unfolds, you see her reflecting on her actions, and it it would be hard for a person to you know at this moment when she was considering killing these people and starts to realize that they're not just these villains, that they're regular people like her. At some level, she's going to wonder about some of the other people that she's killed and some of the people she might plan on killing. And I think it was a really, really good moment to show us. Yeah. It did such a good job of encapsulating characters for who they are and projecting where they're going. It was a great, great moment. We got a couple of questions about the scene. A few of the questions are, we have, we'll read one of them here. 
Mark Joseph, a.k.a. the Snow in Winterfell, uh, our good friend there and top supporter. Do you think she will kill Ed Sheeran and the other Lannister soldiers, or will that be a plot device to show she still has some emotions and isn't just a killing machine, or will she off them for wearing crimson armor? I think that it's pretty heavily implied that she is definitely not going to kill them. She's not. She's like, okay, she accepted guest right from them, and they were just too friendly and nice and human and normal and not were not the type of people that she wants to kill and it's kind of maybe i do think it's a little humanizing for her because she she no longer can think of the lannisters as a monolith they're just not all this all of them are evil it's just she no longer can think that honestly you know and so i think that it was a plot device for her humanity to kind of restore her a little bit especially given that we see that in the hound later on yeah it makes sense that this parallel is being created we had a question from First Ranger Fabian Flowers. She says, how did Arya get the Strangler? And I thought it was rare and hard to make. And yeah, we don't even know that that was the Strangler. I do think it probably was because it really seemed to behave the same way as the Strangler did in Season 2, Episode 1, when Maester Crescent tried to give it to Melisandre and she was immune to it. It seemed to be about the same. But we don't know. And if we want to come up with a logistical reason for it, Arya trained at the House of Black and White. They taught her how to make poison. Also, I mean, the, we can we can assume that's the case because we don't have a better explanation. The phrase "the twins probably have a a, a meister." Also, yeah, maybe right? she's still, yeah, so maybe she, stole she could have met with him or killed him she, or she was a, whatever. Yeah. Using her disguises, there's a lot of ways for her to get into the maester's tower or whatever. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of way. We don't know what happened, but it, it's not totally crazy. It's not just like there's no way this could have happened. So I think it's okay. Now another question from Mark Joseph. The snow in Winterfell. What will be the catalyst that turns Arya around and gets her moving north? Nymeria, Beric, Thoros, and Sandor, or Melisandre? Okay. All these are possible, right? Yeah, like, these yeah. are all possible. I, I feel like it's going to be Nymeria because there's some hint that Nymeria is going to be around this year, like, in the, in the trailers. And uh, so that seems pretty likely. And that would remind her of home, you know? And that so, might be a reason for her to go north to reconnect with her family as she sort of regain her humanity rather than just going off this, on this revenge mission. Let me ask real quick because I just want to make sure I'm not missing something. Are, are we sure that she's going north? Is there something no, that makes No, we're not. Right? Like, we're not so, 100% sure. It does seem pretty likely from the trailers. And of course, I mean, she, she, you'd think that if she finds out that Bran and, and Sansa and Jon are, are alive and well chilling together. at Winterfell, yeah. you'd think she'd want to go there, especially John. I mean, you'd think you'd want to see all three of them, but especially John. That's yeah. the one she had the biggest bond with. So I think it's just that. I think it's just not, it's not something that's 100% sure, but it's just like, seems like she would go north eventually. I'll, as for what, another reason that might turn her back um, is that what if King's Landing is like under siege or something like that? It might be pretty hard for her to get in. I she mean, was even also with just her kind of warned about it. Those Lannister soldiers are kind of warning her, you know, hey, yeah. it's not, you might not be what you think it is. You and, know? Yeah, she, they were, the way they were talking about it, like King's Landers, oh, they're all, you know, they would sell your skin for two coppers or whatever, yeah. you know, and that was a really interesting situation there. Melisandre's the other possibility. She's back in season two, told Arya that, we'll, that we will meet again. So. That, I mean, you could call that foreshadowing. It's not really foreshadowing. That's flat out telling us what's going to happen. Foreshadowing has <laughs> at least to be, at least to, has some modicum of subtlety to it. Yeah. This is just flat out, we will meet again. So I think that's going to happen. It, may as, it could happen at this point, you know, as she's wandering around the Riverlands like this. Because um, Melisandre's coming south as she's been exiled. So maybe they'll encounter each other. But... You know, she was on her list. Arya had her Melisandre on the list. She yeah. took her off the list. Maybe she's, like, put her back. By the way, speaking of the list, it's a good thing Arya isn't bound 
to put everyone she's going to kill on her list. Because, man, can you imagine putting all those Freys on her list? Like, going to bed. <laughs> going to bed. <laughs> Frey number six. Frey number seven. Frey number eight. Oh, he's going to fall asleep before she can finish the list. Arya, master assassin, and also really good at memorizing things. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly eidetic memory. <laughs> Perfect memory of Frey faces. Okay, uh, so there's a lot of possibilities for what gets her going north, and I think that any of those could apply. But I think Nymeria is probably the most likely... I don't think she's going to run into the Brotherhood this far south. And here's why. Because the Brotherhood, they apparently are farther north. They're in a situation, wherever exactly they are, it's not clear. I think it's more towards the Vale. It's snowing there. It's The weather's vicious where that is. Where Arya is, it seems relatively pleasant. Like, she's bundled yeah. up a little bit, but there's no snow. And, you know, those soldiers didn't build a roaring fire. They just had a small little fire. So it didn't seem like the weather was that bad. So it seems like there's still a lot of distance between them. And if those guys are already heading north... You know, the show plays games with, you know, where people are and how they encounter each other. But, you know, from that perspective, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. That was one interesting thing that I, uh, I went back and forth in my mind how to think about John telling Sansa that there's a thousand miles between them and the Lannister. Because partly I appreciate they appreciate that they address that logistical factor that, you know, even if they don't have an army to stop them, it's going to take weeks or whatever for them to get an army there. But it also bothered me because it means they know it's a thousand miles when they have people suddenly pop up, you know, yeah, out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> Let's talk about the Brotherhood since we were just bringing them up. There was a little bit of a trick there. It wasn't a trick. It kind of was a curiosity. You know, sometimes the last time on is very specific. Yeah. And you're wondering. Yeah. And when they showed that encounter with Sandor took the food from that family and it was like, yeah, they're going to starve to death anyway. They're probably going to get killed anyway. Definitely didn't expect to see that house again. Yeah. I thought when that, when that happened, <laughs> I, I definitely even like take notes on the trailer. Yeah. Which, by the way, I think they even do a good job. Or not the trailer, but the the previously on segment. I mean, I guess I also take notes on the trailer. But uh, that definitely stuck out in my mind that they bothered to show that scene. I feel like they're doing everything they do is for a reason. Just think about how big the budget is and how many minds are on it. So there's nothing superfluous in here. There's nothing yeah. they did on accident, you know. So... Someone chose to put that in there for a reason, and I decided in my mind that the reason was Sandor's plight is important. That's going to be a central thing going on here, right? That That's what I took it to, his, his yeah. growth and maybe his connection to Arya, and if they reconnect, how she'll feel. You know, we're anticipating these reunions. I didn't think it was going to specifically tie back in to that yeah. man and his daughter. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? And then when that was on the previously on, I was like, what is... What does this have to do with anything? I'm yeah. really, I was like really curious about that. But man, this scene, the set of scenes, it was so good. The I acting agree. was just top notch. It was really meaningful. It was like this, all these deep questions about like, why are we here? And then being like, I don't know, but we clearly have this purpose and we have good we can do. And Sandor, I love the line, Sandor, why are you so grumpy? Experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had a lot of great lines. Again, this is one of my favorite scenes. It was segments. It was a few scenes, I guess, kind of pieced together. But this Sandor segment and all of this series, it was so good. One, he had just five hits. Like, his his one-liners there were some of the best, especially when the character is relatively stoic and grumpy and negative. He got a lot of good lines in. I almost felt, in fact, like someone who hadn't seen Game of Thrones could have watched this episode, and it would have been a pretty good introduction to the show. These moments with these different characters that we who've been watching or reading forever are very well fleshed out. I think these scenes did a lot to present these characters truly without feeling overdone to us. It, like to, to us who know these characters, we're like, 
Ah, yes, <laughs> that's how, that's Sandor, all right. But someone who didn't know those characters would be like, okay, this is Sandor. Does that make sense? And then after establishing that, kind of moving forward with them making some revelations. Yeah. I, I can't... This is beautiful television. This yeah. is beautiful literature <laughs> here happening. It's it's like he... The, the, the subject matter they're dealing with was very much... is so perfectly in line with Sandor's life philosophy in the first place in a lot of ways because he's so just bottom line about life he's so kind of harsh and fatalistic but also realistic in a lot of ways he's like yeah swords rule the world he's like yeah you don't you disobey the king what good comes from that like yeah so i had to kill this innocent but if i hadn't someone else would have and then they would have just killed me like what's the point you know knights are terrible like all these things that are so much about sandor and but there's these truths that he can't deny now because he you know, he's having these emotions about what he did to those people, you know, mm -hmm. and that's that's changing. He went out and dug grave, a grave for them. And he's asking Beric, like, what makes you so special? He's Beric's seen like, Beric come back. Nothing. Man. He's like, nothing makes me so special. Yeah. That was one of my favorite lines, by the way, when Sandor is saying, why you? He's asking Beric, why you? And he talks, you know, I've seen better men than you. You know, you're not special. But he doesn't even, he, he, he mentions, like, you know, guys who, like, died on a battlefield. But also, and this is, like, the reality of the world, a better man than you just shit themselves to death in a field somewhere. You know yeah. what I mean? He like, says there's no divine justice. He's yeah, like, there's right, no yeah. such thing as divine justice. Which, yeah. by the way, was in response to the my luck to find <laughs> to get paired up with a band of fire worshippers. <laughs> <laughs> so perfect. So basically, like it kind of yeah, a lot of it boils down to like yeah, Sandor, this is. You know, maybe life wasn't exactly what you thought it was. You know, we don't have answers to these questions. You know, we don't know why this this is happening, but it's happening. You know, and then and then the vision uh, before actually before the vision, I almost feel like Richard Dormer, no relation to Natalie Dormer, that's Beric Dondarrion, the actor, almost stole the scene. His voice had this quality to it that yeah. I just cannot pinpoint. That was so grave and real that I was just I was taken aback because you know he'd been around but not much, and now it's like and of course we never thought he'd come back. You know that was kind of random, and he's playing this really poignant role and saying these amazing things. And he's an interesting character because he's he's like, yeah, I've thought about all this. Every day, every hour, I question, why me? Why? And he's like, he doesn't know. He's like, well, but I've got this job to do, apparently, because there's people out there that are threatened, and I can I can help with that. I don't know who's making this happen. I don't know why it's happening, but I can help, and that's enough. And I think that's really neat, and it really shows that, that Sandor is coming around to that. You know, I think he's, I think he's now sold fully, yeah. especially after seeing the vision in the fire. The vision of fire was sort of like the nail in a coffin. There's probably some kind of pun in there somewhere. But, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but what I like was I feel like Sander was already kind of reevaluating things before that even. Does that make he sense? was already on his journey. Yeah. yeah, he was kind of already shifting in his head. Yeah. And that was so good. Uh, I, I just love this scene so much. There's so many things about it. Uh, these sort of like these big, tough, stoic warrior kind of men, they were giving some pretty subtle you know performances like the actors there did such a great job yeah you know? sandor not drinking i think was important too he gets offered rum he's like nah it's too sweet you know he's yeah. like i don't think he cares about that he doesn't want to drink anymore he's yeah. done with drinking i think because he, he used to get drunk all the time and probably did some of his worst things you know dibs on sandor's rum <laughs> <laughs> i should have tweeted that yeah <laughs> i just I, we can keep gushing about this scene let's talk a little bit about the vision itself okay so what's really a, an undertone of this vision that i think is really amazing is that Two people had this vision. Bran had it, and then Sandor had it. And it's a vision of ice, and it's a vision of fire. 
By the way, at least two people. Yeah, you're right. At least two people have had this. You're right. There are other possibilities. But and a lot of people are asking us about that. A lot of people wanted us to know the mechanism that allowed that possible, allowed that to be possible. Here's one question from Josh Wan. Since the Hound was able to see a vision in the flames, do you believe that means he has some innate ability to interpret the Lord of Light? Or is the Lord of Light starting to speak to more than just his followers through the flames as things are about to get so dire for the Seven Kingdoms? Yeah, that watching it the second time... That that was that that thought hit me, and I haven't stopped since then. I have this idea in my mind that the Lord of Light or whatever gods may be, they're just telegraphing a message to the world, and that if anyone stared into the fire long enough, they would see it too. That that's my theory. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's the way I perceive this scene. The context of the people around Sandor's reaction, they seem to be like, okay. You know, almost like they expected him to see it, the, the way that Thoros had him looking at the fire. No, just keep looking, keep watching. Yeah, yeah. And once he saw it, Beric's like, okay, now do you believe me? It's like they expected him to see it. Now, I don't know if that's because maybe just uh, anyone around Thoros, right? Maybe Thoros is doing something. Um, if that was the case, I can imagine someone still being suspicious. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. let me go look at the fire outside. Or something, you know, like a Beric or someone else might have gone through this <laughs> process of trying to find that it was true and not a trick does that make sense sandor may go through it they don't need to show us all that if it's really true but one way for it to be really true is just if anyone sees it anytime anywhere yeah what do we have next here um i think yeah one other thing about the about the about the the vision mm-hmm, the implication right. that it seems to be a vision of the future because if it's not he's talking about thousands of the dead walking past Eastwatch by the sea uh an arrowhead like a mountain it's shaped like a mountain, which might be a reference to his brother, but that's another topic. We'll get to that later. If he's not seeing the future, then the undead army is already in the north, which I don't think has happened. I kind of doubt that's happened. And we, this is something we didn't mention before. During that John scene, when we're talking about logistics and, and castles and keeping the Karstarks and Umbers around, the, the wildlings were set to take over Eastwatch, which is the same yeah. castle that is being talked about in this vision, and yeah. the same vision that is talked about in other places. So that is pretty scary. <laughs> but yeah, I do yeah. think that proves that it's a vision of the future, because I don't think that it's that that's already happened. I don't think they've already made it past that. This, was a, that was another, not to get too off of the segment we're on now, but that was another interesting point in North, how quickly everyone accepted that. They didn't like it, clearly, when John said, you know, Tormund almost seemed to kind of like rub it in, and like, so we're going to man the wall now. <laughs> and you could see a few people like, oh, what's the world come to? You know, But they didn't stand up and say, no, this can't happen. Yeah. They were reluctantly accepting. Because to the, the answer to what's the world come to is, is the White Walkers. That's yeah, what the world's come yeah. to. Like, this other stuff doesn't matter. A, like, a resurrected leader is what the world's come <laughs> to. Yeah, like, don't matter. This wildlings running castles is a pretty small problem, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I I wonder, again, I almost want to listen to it again to get the context of that scene. But I don't know if he necessarily saw, like, the. I don't know if all the different images that he saw were all together at the same time, right? He may have seen an image of the wall, then seen an image of the zombies, then seen an image of Eastwalk. He didn't necessarily see the yeah. zombies at Eastwatch. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's not necessarily the future. He could be seeing the zombies right now, hundreds of miles north, seeing Eastwatch right now, but the vision is meant to connect these things. Yeah. That'll get them direction where to go. Maybe he's also seeing the future, I'm not sure, but I didn't interpret it necessarily as the future or as the zombies being at that point. Just that's what is being presented. That's the information that's being presented to him. So. Now, I might need to take another look but to me, if we're going back to this, this maybe that this interpretation is also a double meaning that it that the a mountain shaped like an arrowhead is supposed to be a reference. 
That new Kingsguard armor looks pretty sweet, but I don't think those helmets look like arrowheads to me. No, I don't think they so. They look kind of round. If I remember right, they're kind of rounded on the top and flared out quite widely. But maybe at some point some other arrowhead-shaped thing will come in. Yeah, be on the lookout for that, folks. We'll see. <laughs> okay, um, let's do our halfway through spiel real quick. Thanks again for everyone who's here joining us. Looks like we got a pretty robust crew here. We got, there's the, the mountains shot there. That does not look like an arrowhead to me. It doesn't look like an arrow, or even remotely like an arrowhead to me. So, yeah, I don't know about you guys. You all can uh, weigh in on that, but we'll see. We're going to go moving on to King's Landing next, but first, a couple of shout-outs here. I want to give a shout-out to our Ironborn captains who have pledged to us on Patreon. Kathleen the Ruthless, Captain of the Night Terror. Black Matos Stormrider, Captain of the Rusted Hinge. I believe we have a question from you in here somewhere. Rebea, Lady of Waves, Captain of the Iron Shadowcat. Tusk Shield, Cap Breaker Captain of Kraken's Fury. Oisin the Wanderer is Captain of Naga's Living Flame. Sir Selvus Redblade of White Harbor is Captain of Trident of the North. And Lord Chucklaws is Captain of the Drummond Nightblood, Destroyer of Evil. That's all very well and good. We're good. To, we're happy to have these Ironborn Captains on our side, especially as things get so hype and tense in the fandom. But we're really, again, we're really happy to have everybody here. This is a very nice group. This this chat is bustling. Hard for us to keep up with all these questions, but we're doing our best. All right, onward. Not much else to say. Let's keep talking about the episode. King's Landing. Okay, another really beautiful shot. This painted floor. Cersei's kind of half queenly raiment, half mourning garb. It continues to be stunning. And Jamie himself is looking pretty, uh, pretty slick in his big armor and his... Uh, you know, all of the accoutrements there. Seems like all of King's Landing, all of Westeros has gone goth. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's in black, everyone's wearing black leather. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, yeah, so we start off with the painted floor. We have um, our Alicia, Lady of the Green Blood, points out that Cersei is standing on the neck. And, you know, there's this theory <laughs> that she's going to be strangled eventually. And maybe because, of the, you know, all that uh, Maggie the Frog prophecy and all that. So, ah, that's clever. I don't know if they did that on purpose, but if, if they did, that's ultra subtle. Maybe there. she'll be strangling someone else. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Now, there's a little, this, this scene felt a little bit off because they had a lot of things that, that apparently they had to talk about off screen that they didn't necessarily all talk about. He's like, we didn't talk about Tommen yet. And he's, she's like, there's not much to say. You know, she's clearly just trying to push it. In the, in the back of her yeah. subconscious. He's trying not to deal with it too much. And she's just so full of rage. And and uh, she's always been full of ambition. And she's just like letting those emotions run rampant. And just being selfish. And just like, yeah, well, okay. We can't run Thousand Year Dynasty then. Just for us then. You know, Jamie's just kind of like, uh, all right. Um, Clearly you're crazy. I can't talk you out of this. So <laughs> how do we go about winning then? Yeah. <laughs> And, I, uh, yeah, go ahead. I want to say real quick, this is another scene that I thought was just outstanding in a bunch of ways on sort of a, a meta element. Just just think about what went into this scene. Just think about the efforts that people put into those costumes and that floor and that the lighting and the image. Everything in that room was set up so beautifully. But additionally, from a storytelling perspective, I thought, again, they did a good job in this scene of filling us in on the state of things. Does that make sense? Yeah. The, their conversation 
makes sense because they need to fill each other in. Jamie's been gone. He's back. What's going on? But it also allows for viewers who haven't seen it in over a year since the last episode. If everyone isn't like us, like rewatching everything and watching videos and talking to their friends about everything that's going on, going to cons and everything. We're so <laughs> immersed in this. Of course, we know right where we're at. But the average viewer, millions and millions of people are watching this. You know, you don't, there's got to be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them that aren't as fully immersed and need a little refresher as to what's going on. Not to mention, probably there's a lot of people just, screw it, I'm going to start watching right now. My friends <laughs> told me what's going on. Yeah. I'll, I'll catch up. You know what I mean? You will. They are presenting this. They are writing this very well to keep people abreast of the scenario. Does that yeah, make sense? Without, without beating us over the head, without it being too uh, contrived of a dialogue. You know? Yeah. Jamie predicts that they'll go to Dragonstone, that Danny will land at Dragonstone, which turns out to be accurate. Now, a lot of people wonder why they didn't go ahead and garrison Dragonstone if they knew she was going to land there. Well, there's a lot to say here. This is You could chalk this up to another logistical thing, and I definitely agree that it's a little awkward that the Dra Dragonstone was empty. But, think of it this way. The Lannisters are spread really thin right now. And yes, if they garrison Dragonstone, they could make it difficult for Daenerys. But one, it might not be that difficult because she has dragons. Two, it might not be that it might not be worthwhile because let's say you throw away two hundred soldiers to kill five hundred of Dannys or a thousand of Dannys. Let's say that's the the math on it. Remember what Rob Stark said about math like that. If you have numbers, if you have the overwhelming numerical superiority, you can afford to do things like that. But if you're gonna lose if you're gonna lose soldiers to take out some of their soldiers. The side with more troops is going to come out ahead, even if you're killing more of theirs than of, of yours, unless you're just winning by such a huge margin. And Daenerys right now appears to have a lot more soldiers. Yeah. It may be a little more disorganized, like she has this Dothraki horror, for God's sake. I mean, that's they can't match that. So, And even if it did succeed, let's say they do send a garrison to Dragonstone. Let's say they do hold it. Let's say they hold it effectively. Daenerys can just go land somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just it's just a losing game. They can't really they just kinda by by letting her land at Dragonstone, at least they know where she is, they can kind of maybe work with that. But if they just leave it open, then they can't predict what's gonna happen. Also, keep in mind, like in, in the real world and this show, just you can't just go to Dragonstone. It's if it's equally difficult for the United States to invade Cuba as it is Korea. Once you have to get your troops onto boats, it's a whole different ballgame. And that's why she needs Euron and or the Iron Islands for their fleet. They can't just move over, you know what I mean? A Dragonstone requires ships to sail people and supplies across and to continually sail supplies across and you suddenly become vulnerable. Your forces are split. If for some reason you have to go defend Castle Rock, you have to get everyone off this island for on and on and on. There's a million problems. What makes way more sense to me is that every force was withdrawn from Dragonstone to get to the mainland, to consolidate forces, to stop having to ship resources across water, to be vulnerable, etc., etc. The same logic comes up when we think about Euron and his 10,000 ships. It's not, well, 1,000 ships, right? That's a really By the way, did he actually get 1,000 ships? I remember he, one point he said, said he 1,000. But even if he only got 400, that's still a force. It's a massive right army. Yeah, yeah, it's a massive group of ships. Now, here's the thing. You might even know... Uh, Wait, can I ask this thought? You forgetting your thought? Go ahead, yeah. Uh, what's the next biggest fleet? How, how many ships are in the Lannister Navy? Well, the Lannisters have a very pathetic navy. They've never been much for having a uh, maintaining a navy, and what navy they did have was burned by Euron back in the you know Lannister. Like it's, in the books, we're told that Tywin rebuilt that, but it was still not very big in the first place. It was never like a crucial strategy thing. It wasn't like if we don't stop the land, take out the Lannister fleet, we're not going to win. It was just a 
this is a great opening move for our rebellion. Take out these ships, because even though there's only 20 or 30 of them, they, they're not a threat to us directly. But if a large war fleet comes from the royal fleet, that 20 or 30 is going to join with them, and then that army's bigger. So they weren't like, well, let's take this out. And it also will buy them time. Yes. We'll, we'll have to wait for that larger fleet to come. So that's that's important. But the, the other aspect is that people ask us about how did Euron get the timber for these ships, or how did they do this in such a quick time? Well, not all these ships were built. Let's be clear on that. They, the way the Ironborn work, and you see this in the books, especially in the Victorian chapters, I got my Victorian shirt on, This he does this firsthand. He's traveling around with a group of ships, some of them get lost, but they're a big fleet of pirates. They just capture more ships along the way. And so that's what Euron could do. They built 20 ships, send them out, and tell them, get more ships. And they just Every capture three more ships, ships. captures one other ship, and bring them it. back, outfit it, you know, rig it with some weapons, maybe turn it into a warship, maybe change the sails a little bit, tweak it, but it's not building a ship from scratch. That's the key. They're pirates. They can take this stuff. That's how it is. Like, they're good at building ships. They don't need the raw materials necessarily. And again, the fact that they're out of wood on the Iron Islands in the books doesn't mean that's the case in the show. Again, for example, the, the, the mines of Castle Rock apparently are empty in the show. But that's not the case in the book. So these massive difference in resources, it's, it's easy to forget that the cannons, the two cannons don't always line up on those things. So there's no, we don't have to assume that the Iron Islands are bereft of trees. So we can just say that. Okay, so... Right, so I distracted you from your, your thought. Also, you didn't give me a straight answer. <laughs> well, I've already forgotten the question. <laughs> what, what what other navies are out there, and about how big are they? Like it, maybe oh, okay. the Lannisters wouldn't have the biggest one, so they're not the best example. This is a, it's really hard to say because again, this is not it hasn't been raised in the, in the show. In the books, the next the next biggest fleet is the Red Wine fleet. They're on the Arbor. That's that small island off the coast near Old Town, in the bottom like the bottom southwest. Arbor Gold, that's where Arbor Gold comes from. Okay. The Arbor, yeah, yeah, of course. They're, it's a famous winemaker. Their, their sigil is grapes. Okay. I mean, <laughs> but they have a huge war fleet because the thing is, winemaking is very profitable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Olena's a red wine. That's right. Olena Tyrell was oh. technically a red wine. She was okay. born a red born wine a red and wine. married the Tyrells, yes. So that's, uh, that's a great point. By Shea over there. Thanks, Shea. So there, but do we have an idea? Is their fleet like 80 ships? 200-ish. It's like 200. 200. It's very okay. big with, with some big, with some ships that are bigger than any of the ones that the Greyjoys have. So it, let's say that, yeah, if their fleet's 200 and maybe the Lannisters have 50 and maybe a couple other houses have 50 and a bunch of other houses combined have 50, you know, maybe four or 500 ships. So if Euron had a fleet of four or 500 ships, not a thousand, but half of what he said, that would still be as big as all the rest combined. You know, he... Yes. Yeah. Yes. I totally agree. So, so he is right. When he comes to Cersei... And says, you know, what do you care about my island? Because she's first there like, you're not a monarch. You know, mm-hmm. you're, and he, and this whole scene. We're putting the silence on the screen. Oh, okay, we're putting silence up on screen. This is, you're awesome. on ship, which is yeah, so cool so looking. Awesome. It's quite a bit different than the book version, but I don't care. It looks awesome. <laughs> it looks really cool. And I hope we get more shots. A little bit of a tangent. Aziz and I, on our other podcast, Fandom Media, we're covering the show Black Sails. Which had lots of imagery of ships, sailing ships, and... I, would, I don't know. This is like a, a refresher. You know, Black Sails <laughs> ended. The, the series ended. And so to get a shot of some awesome ships like this was extra, extra appreciated by me. Yeah, um, I, me too. I really liked seeing that fleet come up. It was really cool. He says it's the greatest armada Westeros has ever seen, which you know might be hyperbole, but I it might be true. That thing is that's a massive fleet. I really like how he talks in this scene. It's 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 a it's a 
better job of talking than he did at the King's Move. But it's not just better, it's different. And this shows his cunning. He knows his audience. He was talking to the Ironborn the way he did, being all bro-y and alpha and grabbing his crotch because... That's the Ironborn, apparently. They respond to that. That was him playing to the crowd the way he knew to. Clearly worked. So now he's in front of Cersei and Jamie, and he knows the right things to say. He knows he's saying the right things to Cersei while picking on Jamie. While picking yeah. on Jamie. <laughs> and I don't know if that was necessarily a good part of the strategy, but he, you know, he's still... And he he's is. also... He knows he's going in, I don't know how to say this, as the inferior, right? Like, literally, he's lined by guards, the mountains towering over him. This is the queen, this is Jamie the Greatest, so on, so on. He can't have this bravado that he had against a girl and a cripple. Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so he has to go into this, prepare for them to belittle him, and him not just be able to talk back. He's got to be clever. And he is. He I, <laughs> That was course, verbal Aikido. Everything yeah. they threw at him, he just deflected or was yeah. like, yeah, I killed my brother. It was great. You should try it. Yeah. It was so good. Like, he never got slightly, he never even got the slightest bit rattled, no. which is a power thing. Like, yeah. if you, if you are like, you can't, you can't make, you can throw me off my game. It's a, like, it shows his, his strength. His toughness. This scene again, I loved it. It's one of my favorite scenes <laughs> of this series, not just this episode. It was so good and he was so good and, Jamie and Cersei would go the, the the performers like because that's another thing I have to remind myself sometimes like wow that Euron guy really handled himself well there but then I think wow the writers of Game of Thrones really wrote Euron well there you know like <laughs> that that uh that whole interaction I thought was was uh, I don't know won me over on Euron up up you know what I had seen of him in the past season one we just didn't see very much of him he kind of showed up out of nowhere. And I, I just wasn't that impressed. Maybe I was even frustrated. But he shows up here, and even though I still am looking at him as a villainous character, he's an interesting character. He's smart. He's making moves. He's clearly going to get tied up in things. He's going to make a difference. You can almost see where it's going to go without knowing specifically where it's going to go. Like, he's going to win Cersei over, maybe to some degree, and she's going to be right. She's going to have been right to not trust him. But she's also going to be looking to screw him. They're both, like, not to have sex with him. But to, well, maybe. But <laughs> but to, to, you know, betray him. They're going to both be thinking about betraying the other. It's just like a race. Whoever gets their goals first, they can throw the, their ally away. Whenever it suits her. Right. Or whenever it suits him. Yeah, exactly. So that is just really cool. I thought that Cersei, you know, as an actress, she did such a perfect job there of, like, as a character, she's always stone-faced. You know, she never reveals her emotions, even when sometimes they're very extreme. Yet you can still detect them. Does that make sense? And I thought she did a perfect job of, like, revealing that she was impressed by Euron without revealing that she's impressed by Euron. And, and he Jamie, knew it. He yeah. knew it. Oh, like, she said, I decline your proposal. He smiled yeah. like, why? And Jamie <laughs> knew it, too. In that moment, even though, especially when you, like, slow-mo, play it back, look at it closely, you know, I think that reaction that Jamie had, that very slow, subtle, took, like, half a second for his facial expression to shift when he realized Euron's... Yeah, stabbing him with the two good hands thing and he's kind of hitting on his sister and you know he's like wait what the who's this oh yeah, I gotta and it, what's so great about that too is that it's almost like he knew exactly what to say he's like oh you know a gift I'm gonna bring you a gift it's like he knew what he was gonna he knew that he was gonna say that ahead of time he knew he was like yep. well unless she somehow actually accepts my initial proposal which she won't yeah. he knew she wasn't gonna accept like a, a lawyer prepared for a yeah. case you know what you're getting into you kind of know how it's gonna it's come just, out yeah. but you still have to go through the motions it's the preliminary to, this is the yes. preliminary argument the opening yeah. statement yeah, yeah this, is, this is the courting right and He's obviously he's lying about wanting to marry the most beautiful woman in the world. I mean, maybe he does want to marry the most beautiful woman. Obviously, obviously that's not, he's lying. 
That's not obviously that's not Maybe what he's Sam truly Sam's after. Not the most beautiful. Woman. <laughs> <laughs> but he did. I think you're right though that he was. You know, like her Cersei's reactions were interesting in that she was like she did a little head toss at one point. Like she was, she enjoyed yeah. being catered to and pandered to like that. Being like, I'm going to earn your earn this. I'm going to earn your you know alliance or your hand or whatever. I think she really liked that. She never she's never been in that spot when she was. She's always been like that type of character, like you know, highborn, proud, beautiful. She should have, she, but she's never been pursued like that in her life. It's almost like. Finally, I'm getting my just desserts as a, you know as who I am because when she was you know she's always been in love with Jamie and then she was married off at a young age to Robert and you know Robert didn't fawn over her <laughs> Robert was like ah oh, Liana you know so this is a new experience for her it's almost like a little Can you do that again <laughs> yeah. yes I, I think yeah I lo- I loved that scene and the big question though is what is the gift that he's going to bring we did a Twitter poll. And a lot of, I'm going to throw out some of the things that you guys think it might be, and then we'll say what we think it is. I think, okay, a lot of people are suggesting Dragonhorn. Dragonhorn's a book thing. We won't get into what that is. I don't want to spoil anything, but it hasn't been mentioned in the show at all to date. I think it would be pretty random to just throw that out there at this point out of nowhere. So I'm really down on that idea. can't say it's impossible, but I really, really don't think so. I think Tyrion would be the ideal gift for Cersei, but I don't think... Euron can manage that just yet. I don't think Tyrion's going to be in a spot where he can be grabbed. I think he's still, he's going to be at Dragonstone for a little bit. There's dragons around. I think that's the last thing Euron wants to do is tangle with the dragons. I think he wants to tangle with everyone else and avoid the dragons, potentially. But, so I don't think it's Tyrion, although Tyrion would be an ideal choice. I don't think it will be. And I don't think the Dragonhorn is in play. So I think that leaves Olenna and the Sand Snakes slash Ilaria. You know, maybe all, maybe all four, probably not all four, but any one of them or Olena. Now, the, the benefit to both, of course, the benefit to Olena capturing her is that she's obviously already a sworn enemy of Cersei. We know from her on-screen interactions with Varys and the Sand Snakes and Ilaria that she's full on for revenge. She doesn't care about the future. She's got no future. Her family's dead. She wants revenge. But the Sand Snakes are perhaps the best choice of all. With if considering besides Tyrion, because they killed Marcella. That's something that even though Euron has been pissing off Jamie, even though he said all these things to him, if Euron brings Mar- the Marcella's murderer in, even Jamie would be a little satisfied with that. Even he would be like, "All right, this was a good gift. This yeah. is like, all right, Euron. I'm still don't trust Euron, but as far as you bring in a somebody, this was a good call." So I kind of ran on there for a minute. What do you think? I think that. Well, I mostly agree with everything you said, but I also think Elena has a lot of value as a gift. Yes. Because she also was, I guess Cersei might not believe or, or realize or admit to it, but she was responsible for Joffrey's death. Yes. Right? And she also is someone that Cersei has more actively butted heads with. You know what I mean? Whereas Alaria has been off somewhere else. She doesn't have as personal a rivalry with her, if that makes sense. Yes. Elena also is... The last of the Tyrells, whereas one of the Sand Snakes, well, there's a bunch more. If, you, if, if she's, if Euron's like, I brought you the person to kill Marcella. This person or was it a team of people? Where are the rest of them? You know? <laughs> yeah, what about the rest of them? But having the one last Tyrell. I've also considered a few other possibilities, like Varus maybe would be a gift that Cersei would appreciate. Uh, That'd be hard to pull off, but yeah, it's you know it could. I also am trying to think about the idea that he said something priceless. I'm trying to think of things that might be priceless, like if he, I don't know if it's too crazy for him to like 
have a dragon egg or know where to get a dragon egg or maybe expect to be able to kill one of these yeah. dragons in battle. Some um, sort of weapon, yeah. This maybe all, he's going to find possible. Jamie's hand. <laughs> <laughs> He'll find it crawling around when it's been animated. It's Kyber, what can you do with hand. this? <laughs> um, I, I think that... I do think that we are, we should have also mentioned the possibility of Yara slash Theon, but I think right, that Cersei yeah. wouldn't really care about them too much. I think and 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 Yara and Theon and Euron also already said that he wants them. So I don't know if he'd give first. I don't know if he'd give them up because he wants them. Second of all, I don't think Cersei would really care about them that much. That's just not that's not quite worthy enough. That's like she's like okay, that's good. You know, they're my enemies, but they're not that important enemies. Let me tell you part of my thought here. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna predict that. The gift is going to be a head. I think we're going to see a scene of him presenting a head. You don't think he'd want to bring them alive? He might want to, but he might not be able to. Okay, okay. Um, but one or the other, if I'm right, following on what, I, what I'm rooting for, if you will, uh, I don't think it'll be Tyrion. Yeah, oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it'll be Tyrion either. I think he's, I think he's safe for now. Right. <laughs> but it, he could easily bring any Martell head. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't like end a storyline or remove, you know. Olena, like, there's a, a, a meta reason, right? If you think literarily, she's an interesting, cool, popular character. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, my first instinct is so they don't want to kill her because they want to keep her in a show. You At least kill for a little while. Right. Yeah. You can kill a sand snake and still have, there's more sand snakes still have them. Cut so. a head off a sand snake, right. two more take its place. But now that <laughs> said, you know who else was an interesting, popular character? Ned Stark. You know, how many do I need to list off? You know what I mean? Like, so maybe they will kill him. Maybe that'll be more devastating for us as an audience, and that would not stop them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that might be I a totally, reason to, totally for, to be the Queen of Thorns. So. A crackpot idea would be a dragon head, right? Bring that head. <laughs> but that's really, I really don't think so. Yeah, I just don't, th- I don't see that happening. Ooh, but. I wonder if you could bring her. It doesn't seem, another great gift. It doesn't seem like a likely one. But what would be a good gift is Sansa herself. That is true. She would love that. But that also seems super romantic. Like, she's yeah. nowhere near the sea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's quite... I mean, heck, the... Hey, Dion got there. Dreadfort. Dion got there. I guess we can't put it past him. But yeah, it seems pretty unlikely. Okay, so let's uh, continue on here. Well, here's a question from Josh Wan again. How much of a part do you believe Euron will have? Even if he marries Cersei, once he destroys Danny's fleet, how else is he going to provide much of the story? No one else will have a fleet that I can think of, and the Ironborn aren't known for their prowess on land. Well, there's a lot you can do at sea, even if you're not ever going on land. For Like, Sean asked me what other fleet might be out there. Like, I said the Red Wine fleet. I don't know if the show's going to even say that there's a Red Wine fleet. They might be just like, nah, there's no Red Wine fleet. That's a book thing. And so Euron truly is going to be in a dominant position. Here's the thing. Even a land army... Needs supplies. Okay, you can ship all that stuff by, by sea. I mean, by land, maybe, depending on where the armies are. What about shipping? What about trade? The Ironborn could shut down trade all around Westeros if no one's dealing with them. Yeah. Like, that is a crippling blow to the economy. Just no ships can do any trade basically anywhere. That is a huge thing. And they, not only have they brought up a few logistical epi- uh, logistical issues this episode, but Euron even kind of specifically talked about the, the power of having his fleet. You know, you really could dominate the seas and trade and move armies around more quickly. Danny's huge challenge of seasons of this show has been Danny getting a fleet. Well, Cersei's got a fleet. You know, it took <laughs> Danny forever to get that. Cersei's got it already. So if, you know, trying to get back to the question, what role will he play? Let's say that he uses his fleet, cuts off trade, and destroys Danny's fleet. Okay, there. Now, do we need any more from Euron's character? Maybe not. But there's only seven episodes anyway. Like, how much, you know, like, I think he'll be central just be, and I hope he will be just because his character was so entertaining. But 
how central will he be? Like, if you think about it, in this episode, he was almost as featured as Arya. Yeah, you know, he like was. I, yeah, that's true. I guess Arya had two scenes, but like if you take out, you know, I mean, there's many episodes in the show in general where certain characters just aren't even in there at all. You know, so relative to everything, I I think he'll be on par with all the other tertiary characters, if not secondary characters, however long it takes or however much it takes for him to be a part of it or to get these goals. I can see easily see his story being central throughout this season. I agree. Let's see if we have any other Euron questions. I don't think we do. Just a quick scroll through here. My info. <laughs> what do we have here? Nope. Okay. Let's Where move are we on. heading next? Is it Old Town? I believe it is Old Town. Let us go to Old Town. Let's do that. Okay. So we need to see our Old Town shot here. Shaz pulling that up for us. I assume it's the one with Sam behind bars, right? And, uh, Old Town itself was, you know, we got a couple images of that, including the opening sequence for the uh, the Game of Thrones title song. You know, they had they had that Old Town worked in there. But I thought it was neat, and I don't think, you know, like a coincidence that these bars here are keeping Sam out of this secret collection of knowledge. You know, yes. But the way it's presented, it's more like he's being kept in prison. Like, there's a bunch of shots of him behind bars, and this one clearly looks like he's locked up, you know. <laughs> and I'm sure that's by design. They do a great job. Liter- great literature in general does this, and Game of Thrones clearly does it, of having multi-layered meanings to images and names and happenings. Even the titles of the episodes can be interpreted a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I think this image, this presentation of Sam, is as much him in jail as those books being protected. Makes sense. Um, I think something funny, the way, a way that this show has surprised us is by, in a, in a show that's had extreme amounts of gore and cruelty and all sorts of things that you don't really prefer to see, they managed to top that with this <laughs> montage of food and fecal matter, I'm trying to use the most professional term possible, <laughs> and making it all together. And it's a cool filmmaking technique that they have never done anything like. Never done a humorous thing like that before. And anyone I think makes it gross... It's the it's the sound of him. Yeah, That's what really puts enough. it over the top. I think you know. It's yeah, because it's the visual, and it's that sound effect. And we're all social animals. When you hear that, that just the sound of that is just enough for some people to just get a little queasy. It was interesting on a lot of levels. I think that this fundamentally was a montage, but it was I'm going to say you know, unique among montages. And I can't <laughs> think of many other montages like this in Game of Thrones montages hardly at all in all of the history of Game of Thrones. I thought this was a really unique scene and really well done. It got a lot through. One, there was an element of humor that came through with it. Uh, two, it showed sort of the passing of time, the, the tediousness and how, how long Sam's been there. We saw the baby is, has grown up some. Um, uh, three, it shows us Sam's commitment. Uh, four, it shows us the realities of the day-to-day life of many people in the world. Uh, on and on and on. And they did all this like in like 30 seconds. They were able to get all this across. So <laughs> We have a, a couple of funny comments here. Uh, LML once is, is, is insisting that I say poop and soup, but Ashea has corrected him and said that it's a poop soup loop. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, now we've got it all figured out. <laughs> and okay, so let's move on here with more Old Town stuff. Sam definitely did his duty. Oh, <laughs> other people's duty his duty duty his unending duty duties now he 
has this interesting conversation with Archmaester Ebros. That's who that is, Archmaester Ebros. It was originally in IMDb as Marwin, but it's Ebros. Ebros is from the books. Not a huge character, but he is mentioned as one of the Archmaesters. And it's a really interesting argument that he makes. It's a very rational, like, real not wrong, but reality-based argument of, look, yeah, the long night happened. People may have exaggerated it, but it probably happened. But humanity made it. They didn't die out. Everyone's... We were worried everyone was going to die at Robert's Bank. People survived. The wall's been here all this time. All these years, these White Walkers have probably existed, and the wall's held. So yeah, you saw the Walkers. I believe you. But it's not as much cause for concern as you think, because the wall's always held. And this is that We have all this data. But of course he's wrong. Yeah. Because <laughs> we know yeah. the Walkers are on the move, and they haven't been prior. We know they're probably getting around the wall. We have two people with visions of them. Yeah. And Sam doesn't buy it either. Because <laughs> yeah. he obviously goes, still breaks into the jail and steals those books. By the way, I want to point out, Sam has now stolen a sword, a set of keys, <laughs> books. Like, he should have, he's in the wrong line. He should have been a professional rogue. <laughs> we got a comment. He should from, be teamed up with Arya to be the thief and the assassin. A comment from Arthur Danish. Can anyone tell me where Randall Tarley is? The man whose sigil is a huntsman. Can't hunt down his son at the Citadel? Come on now. Oh, yeah, that might be a little logistical thing. But we do know that his brother has been cast this season. A new a recast as one of the Black Sales actors, in fact. So I don't think we're done with that. I think that maybe they'll figure out where he went and come find him or something. I, I, I don't think that's just going to be pushed to the side and they hope we forget about it. I do think there'll be more to that. Do we, did we get a scene of Tarly's family recognizing that the sword was missing? We nope. Didn't. They just ran off and then we never saw them again. I don't know if anyone saw uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, but there, there's a scene when they realize the painting is missing. And I want, I want a scene of them pointing up to the sword. Wait, where's the sword? You know? We have a super chat donation from Mark Joseph, the Snow and Winterfell. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for the top level support again. Uh, on top of this, hey, History Westeros, thanks for all you do, and I'm glad Radio Westeros is back too. As far as Sam and Old Town, I'm super curious as to how you think Grayscale will play a role. Excellent question. In fact, we were just going to get to that. Why give it to Jorah just to have him cured? Slash the point. Well, Mark, I'm going to have part of my answer is going to come during our book to show because, as you know, Grayscale is also poised to be a thing in the books. So without spoiling that, I will address that in a different way. But there is some things we can say about it here as well. So hold tight. We'll definitely get to that in the episode with Radio Westeros. But for now, first of all, it makes sense that this is where Jorah would go. Danny ordered him, you know, emotionally to go find the cure. It makes sense that he would start at the Citadel. Like, all that knowledge collected there totally fits as a reasonable starting point. I think, and it's also very interesting, I think this is something that a lot of people may have missed. Gilly is the one who freaked out about Grayscale when it was brought up in the North. And here she is, really near where the only dude, apparently, in the whole country has Grayscale sitting there. <laughs> and he, she doesn't know this, I don't think. Sam, Maybe Sam will bring it up. Hey, there's a guy with Grayscale here. And she'd be like, I, what? Something wasn't clear to me, by the way. Is he the only one? It seemed like he was going down a row of chambers. And I didn't know if those were people... In jail yeah, like or in quarantine? Quarantine, maybe. You know, how many other people are there? Was it just him? Was it seems like a pretty me? ineffective quarantine if you can stick your arm out like yeah. that. But hey, you know, that's, you know, it's not our business. <laughs> hey, thanks also to Pinome123. That's our good buddy Joe with his Boba Fett uh, thumbnail there. The hound is his spirit animal. The hound is Joe's spirit animal, everyone. Remember that. I, and that's a good spirit animal to have. And But to continue with Mark's question here, I think what's going to happen is because Grayscale has been introduced... And because Jorah's at the Citadel, and because Gilly's at the Citadel, and because Gilly and others have brought up the danger of Grayscale, I think we could have some sort of epidemic. I think that Old Town 
might be faced with a grayscale epidemic. There's, mm. I have reasons for this outside of what we've seen in the show, so I can't go fully into it without being a little book spoilery. But let's, but I will also clarify that there hasn't been a grayscale epidemic in the books, but there's the same sort of hints that there might be. So that is my only current prediction on that regard. I don't see what else it could be doing. I agree with Mark's point that what's the point of grayscale if it doesn't spread? And I, I agree. I like, have a What theory, is the yeah. point of grayscale if it doesn't spread? I've heard this line of questioning brought up and his theory that it's going to spread and be an issue in the show. And I've always been resistant to that thought, partly because I'm not sure what the point of that is. It seems like there's enough going on in a show. You don't need to bring up this new thing. While it would be interesting, like I've said, I like the realities of the toughness of this world and this life. The idea that Sandor has seen good men just die of dysentery or whatever and that you know, there's disease as part of the world and starvation and so on and so on. I like to see these elements being part of the world and the drama of everything. So part of me would like, does like the idea of this, but I don't see how it ties in and how it has a lot of integrity to all the different plot or time to be resolved with all the plot lines going on. So that causes me to not think that's what's happening. And so what is happening, one is that it's separating Jorah from Danny. Why that needs to happen, I'm not sure, but that's clear a thing that's happening. And here's my thought. I, I hesitate to call it a theory. If it is one, it might be kind of Tim Foyley, but... I wonder if somehow that's going to be connected to defeating the Whites. If somehow giving them grayscale destroys them. Whoa, that would be something. How, how quick that would spread or how that would work, I don't know, but it's just... Turn them all to stone. It, yeah. It, it's a stretch, but it's it's the stretch that I've got to explain this thing that we don't understand. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's kind of cool. But anyway, yeah, so one way or another, I definitely agree with Sean that it's hard to see how it will play a role. And it's hard to see, it's hard to see how we have time for that. But, yeah, we'll see. I did yeah. have one other thought, by the way. Okay. In the same way that we see the, the maesters protecting this knowledge like it's behind bars, and Sam, who is clearly learned, right, and looking for knowledge, and busting his butt to prove himself, is still kind of shoved off. Hey, I just clean up this mess. Oh, you saw some white walkers? That's neat, but we're still not going to share knowledge with you. Then I wonder if they're going to be punished for this. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, uh, I I wonder if, especially if you consider maybe grayscale spreads, that maybe they have or mm. could or should have had the cure for grayscale, but because they kept it secret, mm. people could have been protected in some way, and they weren't, and it spread, and they all suffered mm. for it. Maybe Old Town has to be evacuated, and huge amounts of the world's knowledge, because they went on for a while pointing out how we're the world's memories. Think, after making that point, how tragic it would be for the world's memories to be lost. Maybe they are setting up something like that. Yeah, I, well, I think they are. The, tr the tragedy of maybe losing the Citadel. Citadel being destroyed, the world's knowledge being destroyed would be a new kind of tragedy that maybe a lot of people haven't considered. Like, there's always the, your favorite character dying or, or, or suffering really badly. But that, just from a, like a macro perspective, the loss, as people like us who love knowledge, who love, a lot of us have read the books, we love books in general, the idea of all the world's collected knowledge being destroyed like that. Maybe not all the world, but a huge percentage of the world's collected knowledge from, from a, a, a length of time that goes well beyond the real world history. You know, like we don't have books from 10,000 years ago, you know, but they do. <laughs> and, and they still haven't come up with cars yet. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so we did a lot of extra research on this and Sam talks of, some of the things that John was talking about, about being armed with obsidian. And it's one of the things he researches, Shay is going to pull up an image here in a minute of some of these books. Um, one of the things he notices, he's turning pages. First of all, we see something really neat, an image of a Valyrian steel dagger on the page that looks exactly like the cat's paw dagger. The exact one 
that was so it's a big part of season one the one that was used to try to assassinate Bran the one that was argued about like well, did it belong to Tyrion did it belong to Littlefinger and for for reference that dagger is almost certainly still with Littlefinger but it's really interesting to see the exact copy of that in in this image on on that we have on screen right here you can see it. We also... Maybe Littlefinger was going to save the day. Maybe Littlefinger is going to kill some White Walkers <laughs> with his dagger out there. I see someone mentioned 50 Shades of Grayscale here. And yes, this, and I also see someone mentioning that the Citadel is indeed a parallel for the real-life Library of Alexandria, yes, which yes. is another reason why I think it'll be destroyed, because that's what happened to the real-world Library of Alexandria, and it was a massive real-world tragedy that we're all still feeling the indirect effects of. Um, but here's going forward here, we have more on, well, actually, let me back up just slightly. Did Jorah seem, when he, re, did he seem like maybe he was a little desperate or mad, maybe a little insane, maybe the Grayskull's going to his head a little, or is it just because he's been locked in a cell for a long time? He could be in pain. Yeah. yeah. I didn't necessarily think, like, if someone was trying to argue that he's crazy, I, I'm not, like, trying to argue strongly against it. But the reason I'm not trying to argue strongly against it is because I don't think I have evidence to that fact, but I don't think they have evidence to the other fact either, so... Okay. So some of the other things that Sam looks at, we took a few screen, we took a lot of share, especially took a lot of screen captures of what, of these books that they were reading. And we got a few nuggets. Here's one in particular I'm going to read. It has to do with Dragonstone and Obsidian, which is where we're getting to here. The quote is, and again, this is from the book that Gilly was reading, or maybe Sam, I think it was Gilly, doesn't matter. True, legend has it that Valyria took as much dragon glass as gold from the mines beneath their 14 flames, but the doom buried all evidence beneath the smoking sea or buried it along with the dragons and very skies on that. And then the page ends and we don't see the next page. So there's also lots of things where we can only see half the page and there's lots of talk of Valyrians using dragon glass as jewelry. And there's also talk of how the the children used it as a weapon, but and there's discussions of how of its flaws as a weapon. You know that it's really sharp. Real world obsidian is obscenely sharp. It's sharper than steel, but it's fragile as you know as shale or you know like paper almost. So extremely sharp, but also extremely brittle. And it's like a candy cane. It's like a sharpened candy cane. It'll <laughs> definitely stab you, but it'll definitely snap in half with your fingertips. Yeah. So. What is going on here is also about letting Castle Black know. We wonder about communication there. You know, is is he going to... First of all, is he going to be able to communicate these things he's learned about Dragonglass? I would assume somehow or another he's going to be able to communicate the knowledge. Maybe not soon enough. Maybe it'll take a while. Maybe he's going to have to leave. Maybe if Grayscale Epidemic happens, he's got to get the hell out of there. I mean, if Old Town can send out ravens to tell the royal winner is here and the world knows it, Right. Well, not like, if all the gra- ravens turn grayscale. <laughs> <laughs> they can't flap with their stone wings. Also, what if he sends a message to John, and the, does he even know John's in Winterfell and not at the Wall? You know, I guess if it gets to the Wall, then the Wall can send a message to Winterfell. But yeah, he left delays before, it even farther. He left before John got stabbed. He doesn't right. even know about that. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't even know that John came back to life. So yeah, so, he's, he's got some things but, to catch up on. But too. imagine <laughs> even the delay of his message gets to the Wall, and then the Wall. Sends it to Winterfell, and then it gets Winterfell, and John just left to talk to Danny. <laughs> <laughs> and they even gave us that line too with the soldiers, the Lannister soldiers that Arya was talking to. You think we get messages from ravens out in the field? We don't know what's going on. So, yeah. yeah, and you know, likewise, there the, the the Citadel seems to not be in the loop about a lot of things. I mean, when he first gets there, they're like, "Jorah Mormont's in command." He's like, "Not anymore." Like. Maester Emmett didn't tell us. Well, that's why he didn't tell you. He's dead, too. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, the Citadel maybe is... I think they're sort of presented as 
you know, maybe a little out of the loop on some things. Even and though they're the center of communication, tower. they're paying a little too much attention to knowledge and and not paying attention to the real world. And, you know, those things have to be in balance. So, yeah, that might be a, a, a foreshadowing of their destruction is that they're not paying enough attention to the world around them. I mean, like what Ebro said about, like, yeah, we're fine, you know, the wall's held. Also, again, think of how he treated Sam, too. Like, he, they're in the middle of, like, this scientific discovery weighing the liver and the heart yeah and he seems to even have some knowledge oh this man must have drank a lot of alcohol all right sam clean up this mess yeah i'm going it through you know what i mean he's yeah, yeah. not he's kind of above it does that make mm-hmm. sense you know now here's a question from rachel allen we've partly dealt with this what is the deal with the cells at the citadel do you think those people are there by choice to try to get cured or are they just there for experimentation it looked like they were trapped so what kind of ailments other than grayscale might they be studying well, that's a tough call. Like, when you first see what's happening there, you don't know what's going on. Sam is feeding people in cells, I guess, or they have prisoners, which in itself is a little odd. Why do they have prisoners at the Citadel? That's an odd place to put people in jail. They don't exactly have, like, guards around. You know, like, if one of them got out, what would they do? There aren't, there isn't, we haven't seen a single person, like, with a spear or a sword anywhere on site. So, it's peculiar. So, I don't think that they're just locking people up. I do think it's more of a, experiment slash uh, Research, quarantine, quarantine yeah. hospital. Yeah, I think some sort of combination like that. And if, like we said, like his arm, he was able to stick his arm out. They were, you know, they were feeding him the same slop everyone else was eating, the same <laughs> poop soup loop. Uh, so I, I don't know what other ailments they might be studying. I could name a, a dozen, half dozen ailments from the books that could be in play, but we don't know what they're going to choose and use or if they're going to buy like, bloody, the bloody flux or the gray death, which is similar to the gray plague, which is similar to grayscale. They're all related in some undefined ways. Uh, there's a lot of them. I just kind of don't think that we're going to learn that, you know, but it's interesting to speculate on because I love world building and I love world building questions. So thanks for the question, even though we can't really answer it. But uh, going back to the Obsidian, here's a question from Lord of the Halls. Uh, wielder of the Valyrian steel mach- uh, machete, Everglazed. How does Sam not remember Stannis telling him about Dragonstone having tons of dragonglass? Well, he does seem to remember it. He references it. But it seems like, kind of like Ebrose said, they have multiple sources on the Long Night, so that kind of corroborates it. Stannis, Stannis has, you know, is known for being honest. But even that wasn't maybe enough for Sam to, to accept it. But when he heard it from another source... Maybe I think it's more enough. that Sam's been told a million things by a million people. He doesn't have photographic memory. He doesn't perfectly process all information. I didn't remember it. I'm doing a podcast of this show, watching every episode three times and <laughs> taking notes, and I didn't remember that scene when Stan has told Sam that thing. So uh, it's. I think it's reasonable for it to him just to not had it in the right context to, to piece together the relevance. You know, it, it, the instant it's represented to him, he's like, "Oh yeah, Stan has told me about this." He he puts it together then, but. I don't know. I it think might that's just be, how people's yeah. memories work. It's I can just... see it being a little odd that he forgot it, but I don't think it's a big deal. And maybe they just, maybe it was a little bit sloppy the way they tried to reintroduce her. They wanted to make sure that people remembered that. They can't expect everyone to remember that conversation between Stannis yeah. and Sam. So they got to kind of reintroduce it. And it definitely hits a lot harder when you are when you see that Sam learns this from these ancient texts locked behind a door yeah. that only the top maesters are allowed to look at. So that kind of gives it a little more weight. Maybe also interesting to think about what other information that's locked up in secret is actually publicly known. Yeah. Know? I do think it maybe have been handled. I do think that was handled a little sloppily, but I wouldn't call it a major problem. You know, it's, it's maybe one of those logistics things kind of along those lines of people remembering the right things. Definitely a flaw, but I wouldn't call it a big one. 
Um, okay, well, we're going to move on to Dragonstone in just a minute. Let me make sure that we don't have any other Citadel-based questions. Let me check the chat here as well. The chat is buzzing. It's hard for us to keep up with all these with all these comments, but I know you guys are having fun and reading each other's comments. We get an average of 18 messages a minute. 18 Jeez. messages a minute, mm -hmm. Shea says. We have over 400 people on the stream, so all the more reason if y'all feel compelled to use the Super Chat to get your questions answered. We're not just trying to make a few extra bucks here, but the, the, that functionality is really useful. <laughs> having, some, having the questions stay there, uh, it's really useful. So that's why we also ask for questions in advance. So, But we're going to keep it going. We're not done yet. we got more time here. We used to be limited by having to be two hours. We that's uh, In the past, y'all maybe heard us talk about how we have to quit before two hours hits. We don't have that restriction anymore. YouTube is a little better than it used to be. It allows us to do this. So we can go all beyond the two-hour mark if we need to. We've, so decided, we've decided to do eight hours from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know we are. You know that's only half joking, right? <laughs> okay, so let's, let's keep going here. Okay, so Dragonstone. Let's get to Dragonstone. We should have on screen here this beautiful shot of the dragon circling Dragonstone. So much of this was overwhelmingly awesome looking. We already addressed the awkwardness of it not being manned. I agree that it's kind of awkward. I kind of understand why they didn't bother with that. It also would have been kind of boring for them just to have to deal with this minor yeah. speed bump in the road of a garrison at Dragonstone. I don't on think that would have been very interesting. On one hand, I do see how it's awkward, unusual, frustrating, maybe. But when I think about it for a minute, and, and you know, maybe you shouldn't have to think about it. I, th I feel like they could have, one line of dialogue could have cleared a lot of this up. But yeah. what makes a lot of sense to me, a number of things I think can explain this, but the thing that makes the most sense to me is just a vanguard has already been through. I don't think the queen is the first person to step off the ship and race to the, you know what I mean? I think yeah. there's probably like a battalion of troops have already landed and cleared the area and checked it out, made sure it's safe. We even in one scene do see spearmen walking ahead of her. I think it's almost obvious that she's not the first person to walk in, that they've already checked things out. And also I think it makes somewhat makes sense for it to be relatively abandoned because Stannis Moodall's forces out to war. Any food and horses and troops and ships and sword, everything else has been shipped out to war. And maybe there were some women and children left behind, but eventually they're running out of food. Dragonstone isn't built yeah. with a bunch of farms. You know what I mean? Eventually the people are just Imagine like, all right. Imagine walking out to get water. You right, we're just going to have that. <laughs> yeah, um, so to me, I can easily see it being evacuated slash abandoned slash cannibalized into the war effort and whatever remnants were left behind, assuming there were any kind of threat at all, were cleared out by Danny's troops when they showed up. Uh, yeah. I, I've seen some people complain about that, and I guess it's a reasonable complaint. They All they would have had to say is, Your Majesty, the Vanguard has cleared the building. Let's go now. You yeah, know? Yeah, okay, yeah. and anyone's complaints are just gone all of a sudden. Yeah, it's one of those so, things. That, it's another one of those one-line of dialogue would have fixed a lot. They, they didn't yeah. write that one-line of dialogue. But yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a little awkward. But let's not focus on that. Let's talk about the plot points here. Let's also talk about how freaking gorgeous it, it was. was. The so cinematography, pretty. the yeah. imagery, the dragons flying around it, the the I don't, I don't know what word I want to use, but it was you know fantastic. You know, it was maybe a little more the way they had no dialogue it was a little. It was interesting, maybe a little more clever than it was interesting, um, because there's some cool things that could have been said, but they did a lot by not speaking. Masande holding Grey Worm back. 
That was yeah, kind of cool. Subtle little moment. Pulling yeah. down Stannis's banner. Uh, you know, walking into the oh, things are breaking around here. No, uh, <laughs> everything's fine. Storm God. We'll blame that on the Storm God. And we'll blame that on the Ashea God. <laughs> Whoa, one and the same. <laughs> and. The 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 way that she looks at the throne, and I think you noticed this. You've actually caught this before I did. You know, she looks at the throne, and just walks right past it, and is like, "No, the war room. This is where we need to get started. I'm not sitting here on the throne. We got to take this kingdom. This is yeah. this is later. I sit on the throne. First of all, you got to clean this throne room up for me. It's, it needs a, <laughs> it needs a little work. Then I'll sit on the throne. But she walks in there, runs her hands along the table. Someone made a great joke in the chat room about her rubbing her hand on the table meant she got Melisandre and Stannis cooties because they banged <laughs> on that table. Remember? So whoops. So Danny might want to get checked for you know <laughs> shadow baby STDs. What is that? That is still an STD. Shadow transmitted disease. <laughs> SBTD. <laughs> Um, but that was cool. And then the shall we begin it was pretty cool. That was yeah, pretty cool. Boom, the moment it ends right there. Yeah. yeah. There was moment after moment was just a beautiful image. Awe. You know, that that series of scenes each struck awe on me. From a distance, Dragonstone with the dragons flying up to the, the, the cliff face to the pathway up to the uh to the entrance, the gates opening with the, the I don't know I don't I wanna say pillars, the you know, the, the stone dragon heads there at the base. The throne room, and it and it was also neat that we got to see see this without dialogue. See the characters take it in, and the subtleties of their positioning positioning and movements around each other was uh, somewhat telling, if you will. A couple of people have been asking questions, haven't gotten their questions answered. We're we're getting close to where we can just focus entirely on questions only. Also, there's something we didn't talk about. I wanted to circle back on. There's not a whole lot else to say about Dragonstone, but if you have questions for it, go ahead. But I want to go back to. The twins for a minute. Something that we didn't mention is Admir Tully. This is something oh, yeah. I did not have enough time to fully research because I think there might be a continuity error. It's really confusing. When Jamie is at the twins, at, near the end of season six, he tells Edmure that he's going to send him to Casterly Rock and keep him in captivity there. But then in se- episode six, season ten, which is later, Walder Frey points out that he still has Edmure in jail. So I don't get it. I have to assume that that's wrong. I have to assume that he's at Castle Rock because otherwise Arya just walked out and didn't let him out of jail. Does he say jail or prison? It says dungeon, I think. He's in the dungeons. Because that could be the dungeons of Castle Rock. Yes, it could be. Frey could still consider him his prisoner wherever it is that he's prisoner. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because he also married his daughter. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So he might still feel claim over him even if he isn't actually at the river. Absolutely. So I think... I didn't have time to fully figure out what was going on there because to, to fully figure it out, I, I would I would have to rewatch all those scenes, and I you know it's it's been less than twenty four hours since the episode aired. I just too many other things to focus on. That wasn't a worthwhile use of my time. I think we'll I think that'll work itself out. We'll figure it out, but I think it may very well be a, a bit of a continuity error. We'll see. But I wanted to address that because I know other people have brought that up and were wondering if we had any takes on it. But usually that's Aziz my take. I, Something's wrong, maybe. <laughs> usually, Aziz and I perfectly make use of all of our time, and. Uh, <laughs> Paired out every minute of the past 24 hours, and that was like the 25th analyst didn't quite make it. So let's say he is at Casterly Rock, because if he's not, then he's starving to death in the dungeon to the twins, probably. Let's say he is at Casterly Rock, then if Casterly Rock is taken, as the trailers maybe reveal, then that's a little odd that maybe Tyrion and Danny are going to be the ones to let Edmure out of prison much later in the season, which is kind of like, well, I wonder how that'll go. What will Edmure have to say to them? His loyalty, you'd think, would still be with the Starks, but 
it depends on the state of affairs between John and Sansa and Daenerys at the time. And maybe maybe they maybe, maybe they're on good terms, and then Edmure being let out, they'll be like, hey, you know, go be reunited. We'll stick you back in Riverrun and give you your castle back. But maybe something for later in the season. It might be something they kind of just don't have time for. Yeah, I'm inclined to think that if he is in it, it'll be a, a cameo. That they don't have enough time to cover that storyline. I also will point out, several times I've sort of, part of my analysis has been, well, they only have so many episodes left. It doesn't seem like they have time for this. But I do appreciate that a, a lot of great shows, even toward the end, if you will, when when you're at this point where you're thinking about where things are going and how many episodes they have to cover that, sometimes new characters still come up and surprise you. Liana's, Liana Mormont is a relatively new character who's really captured us, and so... I don't think it's too late for someone like Edmure to become prominent, or Euron to become prominent, even though they're relatively new and there's not that much time left. So It happens. I mean, look at Beric. Yeah, I mean, we thought right. he was super yeah. gone. And, <laughs> and Sandor, you know, like, definitely, this. you're right, this, that, that uh, precedence is, is definitely been set. Um, comment from Acre Frey, maybe Danny didn't sit on the throne because she wanted some cushions, like in Marine. <laughs> that is a hard, <laughs> rough-looking throne. I don't blame her for not wanting to sit on that thing. LML also... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, you go ahead. I was going to say LML uh, points to the opening crawl, which is a great thing to think about. First of all, having Old Town on the the, uh, opening crawl was super cool, especially the way they did it. Looked awesome. Loved that. But he points out that the Twins was on there, which we noticed. And he's wondering is... How is the pattern with that? Does it mean that since we saw it in that opening crawl, does that mean we can expect to see more of it? I tend to think maybe, because even though Arya's gone from there, and I don't know what else could happen there. I really am confused by that. Because you'd think that if it's only going to be in one episode, and it's very brief, just the beginning, they wouldn't bother to put it on the map. You know, this is a flashing thought I had at one point that you're bringing back to me now. How long before all of Westeros is just ruled by women? It's kind of There was a girl left there. (laughs) There was a girl left there at the Twins. Sansa's taken over the North. Cersei's in charge. If she loses, it'll be Danny. I, I can imagine, even if it's not a prominent feature of the rest of the series, that uh, the Riverlands, someone's got to take that. You know, the, there's been several that, that we all we talked about. The Dreadfort earlier, Heron Hall, Littlefinger's still yeah, Lord of Heron Hall, yeah. and also of the Vale. You know, yeah. but and obviously we're not seeing that. It's not particularly relevant to the storylines going on. But it is still, uh, I don't know, part of this world, and we're interested in the world as a whole, and especially the nature of what spinoffs might be. <laughs> but um, uh, again, I'm inclined to think that we won't see much more of the twins or of Emma Tully, but, uh, but it is possible. It certainly is possible. I, I see how there could be lots of drama there. I just have a hard time seeing how it's going to tie into what seems to be getting built up to, which is the Battle in the North. But maybe before the Battle in the North, we have to have the Battle for King's Landing, and maybe there's... Whatever battle happens between the Lannisters and Danny happens across mm-hmm. the Riverlands. Yeah. yeah. Geographically, that kind of lines I up. I think it's probably so. going to be in the Reach, more towards the West, maybe. Because yeah. if it's the Lannister armies, they would be in that. But that would, but they could be in the Riverlands. Because that, that is when, when Jamie says the three kingdoms. When she says seven, the Riverlands is one of them. That's certainly one yeah. of the kingdoms they are sort of holding on to. Although they've already, you know, lost the twins, sort of. I mean, it's not like... Arya installed a new ruler there, but... <laughs> yeah. Or, or did she? That's oh, what I'm kind of supposing, yeah. is that the Walder's wife, ostensibly... <laughs> well, she can't is... be allowed to hold that. I don't think that would be legal. Maybe not. She but... doesn't have any power to enforce that. You know? Right, but but let's just say, I mean, I I got to assume there were some people involved that Arya would have wanted revenge on that weren't Freys by name. Yeah, like... like Maybe her, not, because yeah. the Freys are such a big family, but they have a maester. I'm just saying right? it's not her call, though. Like, right. she doesn't have any ability to distribute that title. 
Like but that title, she, like, she, she doesn't. Can't... But who does? It is the maester. The king. If there is a maester, the king, the queen in this case. That's 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 Cersei's call. And would Cersei give decision. it to this girl? I wonder. No, no. no. Why would she do that? Who would I, she give it to? I don't know, but it wouldn't be wouldn't be some random girl that had, offers her nothing. Yeah. Who has no experience leading? Yeah. No, that would. Yeah, it would be somebody. I mean, maybe she just wants to support girl power. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I would like Cersei uh, to want to do that but <laughs> so so this is the thing that I was going to bring up a second ago okay uh, characters that we didn't see here oh characters yeah we well, hang on. before we get to that let, okay. me, let me answer this question here another one from Acre Frey if grayscale equals black death and the citadel will be burned if we're talking about it being destroyed maybe burning is a reasonable thing for it to happen what do we think of rats spreading grayscale like like they did spread the Grey Plague or the Black Death in real life? Oh. And that's got an extra bit of supporting evidence, which is that in the books it's mentioned that the Grey Plague, which is a cousin of, of, of grayscale and the Grey Death, can be carried by rats. So mm. it's just briefly mentioned. Of, so if we ever, so I, know, I don't know. I can't say yet. I definitely think it's possible. I don't know of any evidence that points to that as a possibility. But I tell you what, if you see some rats... In an upcoming episode, and they're just showing them, like showing them running around the citadel. Watch out! Yeah, that is that might be exactly where we're headed. I feel like if they were going to do that, they would have. They were trying to kind of gross us out there with the day to day life of Sam, and I think a couple rats in the mix there mm. would have added to that, and they didn't do That's that. That's a good so. point. They might have shown them. Yeah, you would if think they, also that rats are really bad in the city. Like they don't want them chewing on the books and all that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that that comes up in the book as well. Sam is reading a book in the library of Castle Black, and a mouse comes over, and he's like. I should kill that mouse. I know mouse mice are bad for books, but Sam just can't do it. Doesn't have He's, an energy to kill, the, poor can't kill the poor little mouse. Yeah, I wouldn't either, Sam. <laughs> so that's uh, that's really neat. That's a great idea. I, I again, I can't think of anything that points to that evidence, but I got I like the the suggestion. I like the the possibility. Um, okay, so what were you going to say about characters that we haven't seen yet? That's a great topic. We have some notes on that here. Characters that haven't shown up yet. Sand snakes. They're coming, of course. Ilaria, maybe they're coming too. Ilaria was seen We've briefly seen in the trailer, in the trailer even, along for, ne- with for next episode. Yara. Yeah, along with Yara. Uh, Melisandre hasn't shown up yet. Now there's Kyber. You know, I meant to go back and check, but I thought there was, at the beginning of the scene, yeah. when Euron comes, Cersei's in the throne, Jamie's behind her to her left or right. Oh, I think he was standing But there. I think someone was on the other side behind the he throne. He was standing there? But you only saw for one scene, oh, okay. and all the other scenes were angled differently, and only saw Jamie. Okay, so technically he's on camera, and that doesn't really matter. I mean... A lot of the characters, like Tyrion didn't actually have a line, and we saw him. Grey Worm didn't have a line, you know, like they were in the episode, so I guess they were in it as much as, as uh, Kyburn was. You know, leading up to this, between, uh, so we actually did like a pre-season podcast, and we were featured on the Game of Owns podcast. By Shout the out to Game of Owns, Shout Zach. out to Game of Owns. Yep, Zach um, and Hannah. And also at the Game of Thrones con that we went to, uh, Con of Thrones, we did some panels there. Questions are constantly being asked, you know, predictions to make. And also I'm on Twitter now, so I've been tweeting about it. And <laughs> one of my predictions was that Kyburn and Euron would get along. And we didn't see them interact there. I hope it's not too late. He said I won't return to King's Land until I have the gift. I hope that I wish we got some interaction there. Maybe we'll have to wait till the gift comes. I think Kyburn's gonna like his gift. You think I would like the gift, especially if it's Jamie's hand, and he can like reanimate it and reattach it. <laughs> all of, that's all the kind of things he wants to play with. Uh, He's like, yeah, I'm hand to the queen and all, but really, I just want to go down to my lab and experiment. <laughs> this is another series of thoughts that I was having that I feel like someone from the north, someone from Winterfell, is going to go down to meet with Cersei and or Danny. Mm. They're they're next to each other. There's reasons for meetings to be had. Who it will be, whether it's John or Davos, I'm not sure. But it also makes a lot of sense to me that Melisandre is going to head there. 
we know she's heading south or you know away from the north right and it makes sense that especially danny lining herself up with the lord of light melisandre will want to go meet with danny and i'm just imagining a scenario where melisandre gets there meets with danny wins her over right and then Dabo shows up to to negotiate and he's like whoa what's she doing here do you know let me tell you about her i wonder how that will go down if that will go down um, but first, we got to get Melisandre back in the show at all. <laughs> so I saw an interesting comment here. I, I can't find who made the comment, but if all the girls are training in the north, does that include Sansa? Is she going to start training? Oh, wow. Yeah, Warrior Sansa. That's kind of cool. I like that. I don't know. Maybe she won't. Maybe she's just going to be more of a ruler behind the scenes character. But that would be cool to see her training. You know, maybe Brienne would be the one to, to you know take the lead in that regard, I would think. That's cool. Good idea. Good thought. Uh, I'm a little down on that possibility, but I love the idea. Okay, we got a question here. Uh, a question sent in advance from Seth Osborne. What's the catch with Danny? She's landed on Dragonstone with an army around 100,000 or so. 300 ships or thereabouts. Three dragons and already two major houses declaring. It just seems like an overkill when you consider Aegon landed with 1,500 men, hardly any ships, and three dragons. Oh, that's Aegon the Conqueror he's referring to. So Danny is way more than Aegon the Conqueror. That's true. On the other hand, Aegon had all three of his dragons were like well under control, ridden by experienced riders. Danny hardly has experience with her with her one, and no one rides the other two. Second of all, there is the big issue of uncertainty here. I totally agree with you in general that it seems like she's poised to just steamroll people. But I think Euron's gonna surprise us. Or like a lot of people gonna surprise. I, I don't think I'm gonna be surprised by Euron being powerful. But I think that Euron is is the replacement. I've said this a few times. So apologize if you heard me say this before. But I think it bears repeating. Euron is like what we call in our Euron episode, which has come out pretty recently, is the third act villain. We're, we're the story is sort of winding down. Still a lot left to go, but it's we're certainly well past the halfway point and all that. We're getting you know probably in the final third ish or so. And early on, we had vi villains like Viserys and Joffrey. Who were villains for teenagers. They were teenagers themselves, but well, there's a little older than that. But they're basically not up to snow. I mean, imagine Daener imagine like Viserys doing like he said, like, I'm gonna go there and fight Jamie Lannister and, and Robert Baratheon in single combat. Like, this guy is yeah. the villain? Like, this guy's an <laughs> idiot. And the only reason he was power the well, only reason he was actually intimidating and powerful is because he had some strength. He Danny was 13 and and hardly yeah, he was and relatively naive. powerful. Yeah. Right. And but as soon as he's surrounded by other people with real power, he literally gets killed off. You know, and Joffrey was a was a, a villain capable of causing a lot of harm to Sansa. But now that she's dealt with Ramsay, who was the set, kind of a second act villain, like Joffrey is small fries compared yeah. to Ramsay. And he and imagine Euron compared to Joffrey. Euron is so much more capable, so much more intelligent, so much more skilled in fighting. Just everything. He's just forward thinking. Everything. Yeah. Right. He's so much more capable. So the transition, the the, the progression is like Viserys and Joffrey. Then you have Ramsay eventually, and then you have some more formidable villains like Tywin. But Tywin isn't a full villain. You know, there's yeah. some gray in him. But these these like full evil characters, like full villain. There's this progression as our characters become kings and queens and assassins and players in the game. All our favorites rise levels. Like if this was some sort of role playing game, all these characters have leveled up. They're going into higher level dungeons to fight yeah, bigger yeah. bosses. And That's Euron is that bigger boss. Of course, the White Walkers are probably the biggest boss of all. But Euron isn't just some dude with a bunch of ships. He's going to surprise. He's going to kill some characters we love. He's going to do some damage. 
another surprise. Another, I don't know, prediction, direction in my mind is going, because I've had this same thought. Danny's just showing up with everything. What's in the way? You know, not only is Danny showing up with full fleet, full army, and dragons, right? But she's going up against Cersei, who's surrounded by enemies, lost everything, da da da. You know, so yeah. what? What's the challenge going to be here? And I think that this is this is what I think is the challenge is going to be her navy is defeated by Euron, and it, Euron might even lose his own fleet in a process. It might be like a sacrificial effort. He might know that. If I go attack Danny's fleet, her dragons are going to burn my ships up, but not before I take out her fleet. And so once her fleet is taken out, X percent of his army, her army goes down she with it, then... and the rest of it is trapped on Dragonstone, and she can't get her forces across. So maybe a small force, a commando force, can go sneak into Casterly Rock, and maybe dragons could go towards some field where Jamie was leading an army. By but... the way, that's a, an interesting long-term strategy. Let them have Dragonstone, then deprive them of their uh, fleet, yes. and you've stuck Trap them, them there. Yeah, that's actually right. very Without enough food. Yeah. No Onion Knight to come save them. <laughs> or, wait a minute, maybe the Onion Knight will come save them. <laughs> He's still out there. <laughs> that would be, be something. So awesome. if, he breaks, if he breaks your on siege yeah. with his ship, black ship, man. All the crazy ideas we're coming up with here. I'm glad we've gone past the two-hour mark. This is fun. Okay, well, we are going to wrap it up fairly soon, but we definitely have some more questions to take. We still have about, looks like about 400 people still going, so if you're all are still going, then so are we. All right, let's take a look here. Well, how many people still going? Four, over 400. Holy crap. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Yes, you are. <laughs> okay, here's a question from Felina. Felina H., do you think Arya will make it to King's Landing? If so, who will stop her from killing Cersei, or would they kill off Cersei and focus Season 8 only on humans versus walkers? Um, well, we sort of addressed what would stop her, and that maybe a siege or an, a, you know, an area where she just can't get in there, or maybe Nymeria or Melisandre, she encounters one on the way that changes her mind about what her destiny should be. I, yeah, because I really have a hard time seeing Arya being the one to kill Cersei. It just, just doesn't feel right. And she, her, the only other person on her list is the Mountain. I really don't think so. You're coming the mountain. Yeah, <laughs> especially that that past scene, you know, with her of the Lannisters. I have a feeling she's starting on a new path, and it she also at this point has exacted her revenge on a number of people, and isn't exactly happy now. Does that make sense? I don't. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I I think I hope that she's going to realize that this isn't the right course to be on in the first place. Yeah, and, uh, and it might be Sandor that. Gets her to understand that. Uh, I think that there is also the uh, the point about that if it's Nymeria, you know, that is one of the best symbols of her identity. You know, it's, yeah. her, it's her wolf identity. You know, and she sort of said those things. You know, she said the North remembers winter came for House Frey. Now she's got to you know complete that circle and get her wolf. Interesting to see how that's going to go. I wonder. Do you think that it will go well? Do you think that 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 Nymeria is going to start? following her around and being with her again or do you think maybe that'll just be like a brief encounter and Nymeria will kind of just rush off back you're, woods? you're free now I still yeah. love you but we're we're on our own and we know? don't have the budget for you so just yeah go, I was gonna say for budgetary reasons <laughs> I can imagine no they'll give the audience a nod but uh it won't become central to things it'll be enough to move her her the needle on her character arc but without yeah. you know adding all that expense of keeping the wolf around the needle on her character oh uh, yep always mm-hmm. move the needle on her uh, yep 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 <laughs> i'd say yeah that pun was intentional yeah <laughs> that's right no Okay, um, let's see what we have in the chat here. Questions. <laughs> People talking about Gendry being ripped. Yep, I agree with that. 
Uh, interesting thing with the mountain is that Kyburn seems to have his own agenda. We haven't seen fully fleshed out yet. It's a comment from Peter Romero. I like that. And it reminds me of a theory I saw that I think is a little far-fetched, but it's clever. And I forget who sent it to us, so I apologize. I think it was, uh, maybe it was Lucas Perzek. Um, apologize if I'm getting the name wrong, but he suggests the possibility of Euron capturing, capturing Kyburn, or taking Kyburn, or manipulating Kyburn. Because there's that he looks at Robert Strong, the mountain, a couple of times in that scene, and he's kind of like checking him out. And it's yeah. like, I wonder if he, the, the commenter mentioned that maybe this is foreshadowing, you know, because they made a point of that. It wasn't, he didn't just look at him the one time, you know, it was yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. And I wonder if he's like, ooh, what's, what do we have here? What's this thing? What's going on here? He doesn't know. He probably doesn't know that the mountain's undead. But if he, you know, learns more about the situation and is like, oh, can I steal control of that thing or something like that? Even aside from maybe some uh, some plot intrigue, I still think it's interesting for him to take note of the mountain because it makes sense he would know of the mountain, right? He yeah. knew Jamie. He had a respect for this great warrior. I think he would have. I think it would be neat. He's maybe uh, slightly in awe, like he's like a fanboy. He's like, "Whoa, the mountain right there, threatening me! Hey, I'm going to tell people about this. I'm definitely not worried about anyone else. I'm standing here with a mountain threatening me." <laughs> I see a lot of people commenting that they think Cersei is going to spiral, you know, further and further into mad queendom. I wouldn't say she's quite mad yet, but she's certainly losing her grip a little bit. Some of the things she said to Jamie just weren't quite right. Like, what do you mean a dynasty for a thousand years? We literally have no kids. Like, what are you talking about? She definitely has illusions of grandeur. Yeah. And uh, And trauma. And and is in denial. Yeah, she's got trauma that she's denying. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Another part of that scene, I forgot to mention earlier, but that was really good. Uh, Another thing that scene did is kind of address points, too. You know, we had been curious about what's Jamie going to think about Tom and how is Cersei going to explain it? You know, they, they kind of hit a lot of those bases in that, that conversation. Q&A is you're on officially the new singer for My Chemical Romance. <laughs> Tyson uh, remarks that Euron reacted similarly to how Jamie reacted. It's important in this Mountain. context to use his full name because Tyson, Tyson, Winter. Winter. Tyson Winter. Winter is a wonderful name for this. And Tyson's a friend of ours. It is his actual last name. He re- Yeah, he reacted similar to Jamie. That's right. Yes, when he saw him, he kind of like, is, is he really or something? And then he kind of looked at him and yeah. kind of, okay, all right, you're intimidating. <laughs> right on. All right. You think... Uh, Septa Supreme is still down there being tortured by him. Oh, man. I don't Let's know. not think about that. Or being turned into an undead <laughs> herself. Oh, man. <laughs> undead Septa's walking around. <laughs> That's a new religion. What's <laughs> the priests of the undead? Okay, so yeah, people were talking about that. The, the comment about My Chemical Romance and Euron was in reference to his outfit. And some people noted that maybe he was wearing a little eyeshadow. He got leather pants, you know. It definitely kind of looks a little gothy. That's cool. I don't mind. <laughs> he can he can do his thing. He's got his look. It's it's Westeros, you know. There's there's room for a variety of fashions. <laughs> as long as it's black. <laughs> oh, ah, Matthew R says they didn't say dynasty, they said dynasty. <laughs> totally true. I'm completely wrong. And that's by the way, in the books, Euron has an eye patch. And I think that I saw someone comment earlier that they maybe they got rid of the eye patch. Because it just, you know, it inhibits your facial acting. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, and the eye patch isn't really that important. Barrick is doing particularly well. <laughs> Especially because he do- he has the eye. It's weird. He wears an eye patch even though he has Just it. for, like, night vision or whatever? Yes, yeah. for night vision, exactly. So you can go below decks and then peel the eye, the eye and it's already adjusted to the dark. Yes. We mentioned we brought that up in our urine episode. Good catch. You, you knew that. You, you didn't hear that episode. <laughs> you just knew that. The FAA even recommends that, that, that a pilot 
covers in hand when they're if they turn a light on in the cabin to work on something, they should cover an eye. So real world eye patchery there for you. <laughs> All right, let's see what else we have question wise. We're gonna maybe wrap it up in the next five ten minutes here. Um, so if you have a really burning question you want to get to, I suggest super chat. Otherwise, we're just gonna look through here and see what we have here. All right, Nick Craven says, "What will your what will be your on secret weapon?" I think your on secret weapon will be surprise. Surprise and fear. Fear and surprise. <laughs> An almost ruthless efficiency. A fanatical devotion to the ground god. No, I think that will be it. I think he's just going to be... I think it's going to be his brain. Because they're not giving him some of the, like... They gave him... I'll, I'll give a very mild book spoiler that he's got some things to do with magic. Not that he's, like, casting spells or anything like that. But he has stuff that's somewhat magical that's maybe magical that we don't know about it's kind of just just where the books are at we're not really clear what's happening and they haven't done anything remotely like that in the show so i don't think they're going to so they have to make up for that by just making him smarter and stronger he definitely did seem to have sort of a a liberal and utilitarian attitude about things he doesn't seem like he'd be too caught up and so you're not supposed to do that because it's the drowned god that's yes he's completely unrestrained by superstition and convention another thing we didn't maybe we did but i I know we wanted to talk about i can't remember if we did when with his interaction there with cersei was it you know he was able to take their insults he was able to like oh yeah the iron islands suck you know but we got these ships you know like he he was ready to be belittled but was willing to roll with it does that make sense he 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 knew how to play the scenario and it, i think if he can put his ego aside like that he could definitely put aside whatever tradition you know what i mean which is part yeah. of why i think he'll get along with kyber and i think he'll just be down for hey if it works let's do it you know that was one of sean's predictions uh on twitter that that Euron and kyber will get along <laughs> <laughs> i like that i definitely agree with that Okay, Arya mentioned wolf and sheep at fray meat. Lannister soldiers to be sacrificial lambs for Nymeria's pack. This is a question from Bill Coopland. That's interesting. I, I don't think that those Lannister soldiers are going to get touched. I think we haven't, we're not going to see them again. I think she's letting them go, and that's it. I don't think we'll see them again. What, do you, what about you? We certainly won't see Ed Sheeran again. We know that he was a one-off. <laughs> I don't think we'll see him again. I, I think it would be interesting if she started traveling with him. I yeah. think that would be interesting, but I don't expect it. I think that that was a, a moment for Arya that we're going to move on from. Comment from Stephanie Vale. Can anyone name the 14 C's? Okay, here's the thing. I've never heard the term the 14 C's in book canon. So I think they kind of made that up. And, but I thought it was a reference to the 14 flames. Maybe like a sideways reference to the 14 flames of Valyria. Those are the 14 volcanoes that surrounded the Valyrian freehold uh-huh. that all exploded at once to cause the doom. I wonder if they, because this is a very specific number, 14. I, I wonder, whatever the intent or reality of the world or whatever it is, if maybe... Euron was kind of boasting a little, like, let's just say that there are 11 C's. <laughs> he says 14. He's been around. He knows. It's There's true. Like, he's 11. moved so far yeah. to the east. Yeah, he yeah. knows. That's a good point. Because we don't, I mean, even our full Michael Clarfeld map back here is, you count 15? Yeah. She's counted 15 on that map, and that's a but that's a book canon map. The show canon map shows the end of Essos, where in the book canon map, you don't even know where Essos ends. It just keeps going. <laughs> also, some of those seas might just have no fleets in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let's see what else we have here. Isn't Bran next in line for Lord of Winterfell? Will anyone bring oh, that yeah. up when he gets to Winterfell? I think that will cause a little bit of problem. Here's the thing. Sansa came before John, and that didn't matter. The thing is, a claim comes before anything. And unless some... And no one just... No one follows the laws if no one enforces them. Bran's going to have to say, hey, I should be Lord, and people are going to have to back him for that to even matter. And I just don't see Bran caring about right. that. Right. Bran won't claim it. You know, it, I think if he did, I think if he did, John would defer. Right? I don't think John really wants it to would be put him Lord in, a tough in the spot. first place. Yeah. Now, he might recognize 
how bad it would be for the planning and orchestration of things. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because Acre Frey says, does that include the Dothraki Sea? One of the four teams. Victorian makes that same mistake, which one mentions the Dothraki Sea. Where is this Dothraki Sea? <laughs> I will sail on it. And they laugh at him, and he's, then he kills them. <laughs> he's like, and no, sails on a Dothraki He's like, sea. no one laughs at me, and he kills them. Yeah, like, it was a silly thing yeah. to laugh at someone when, you're, when he just took your ship and has you tied up. So I think that Bran <laughs> will recognize that his role is elsewhere, and anyone who tried to push for him to be on the throne, which I think would be almost no one, he would just, you know, say, no, I'm not claiming it. I don't want it. So, Shab mentions that there used to be a sea on the Dothraki Sea, a real sea. The Shrinking mm. Sea used to oh, be there a long yeah. time ago. It was a little east of the Dothraki. I guess it was a little, I don't know, is that technically part of that? I guess it was technically part of that area. I don't know. Is it it's, how big it's hard it was to say. before. Yeah. I think it was. I think it was. But maybe. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it was a Verbosi side of things. Oh, okay. Good stuff. You know, another one of my predictions, by the way, was Bran will have a psychic battle. With the Night King. Yeah. And another one of my predictions is Sansa will connive. Braun will survive. <laughs> which so far, Sansa's conniving. And we haven't seen Braun yet. That's another character that we were maybe expecting or he's hoping not, for. He's but not dead yet. yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, I'm, I, Braun, we had, Braun was like a regular occurrence on our quote, worry of the week in season five. We were just in Dorne. We're like, he's the red shirt guy here. Yeah. Jamie's going to survive. Ron's going to die. But they both lived. And even and he drank the poison. We're like, oh, there it was. He drank the poison. That's him. And then, nope, Bron keeps coming back. A so. thought that's stewing in my mind right now as we're approaching the end is what, I mean, obviously everyone's always thinking about who's going to live and who's going to die. But my perspective on it right now is who are the observers of what's going on does that make sense yeah uh th there are players and observers and obviously there's a lot of crossover but i think davos is an observer does okay. that make sense yes and i think Bronn is also okay and i think they're more likely to live because of that I i'm starting mm -hmm. to be less afraid for Bronn. okay so maybe that's wishful thinking <laughs> we have george bell asking us who is our worry of the week okay so we should uh, this is something we do from time to time if we have a character or two that we're worried about especially given current circumstances not necessarily for the whole season just right now what character do you fear for most? Episode two only, or maybe maybe episode two or three, because you can't exactly predict. But based on like very current events, who are you most worried about? Hmm. That's a tough question. I got to think about it too. Man, one one. I'll tell you, one candidate is Arya because yeah. she's putting herself in harm's way. Right? I'm worried about Yara. I got mine. Uh, Yara. I'm worried Yara. about Yara. I think that yeah, good call. Yara and Theon. I kind of feel like if they're continuing to to cut down the cast. I think Theon's had a lot more screen time. Alfie Allen is, a, you know, nothing against Gemma Whalen, who is a fantastic actress. Alfie Allen a lot of, is a lot of people's, like, number one actor on the show because he's just so good. And I also feel like the maimed characters have more safety. Like, if you've been maimed, you're more likely to live yeah, yeah. for a while. I so, also think he's kind of an observer, too. Mm -hmm. He's been through so much, through so many different areas and mixing of <clears throat> characters. I think he's someone to, like live through this story you know? and if we're expecting euron to do a lot of damage it would be just extra suffering for theon for Yara to be killed you know? yeah and for us yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i do I, that's my worry i'm gonna go with yara and until something changes i'm gonna stick with yara maybe that'll maybe as soon as next week i'll have someone else within the first two seconds of the episode it was all the phrase but i wasn't really worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what you expect and what you're worried about are a little bit different <laughs> uh so i guess it's kind of i guess you, you maybe don't have a solid answer here it's tough isn't it i don't know I sold the only one that maybe is great at this point. <laughs> You're not worried for Braun yet. You yeah. think he's going to survive. Okay. Well, uh, my worries are also more long-term. Like, like next, I don't think he was going to die next episode. But if I think about who's going to die, like if I had to guess or worry about someone next episode, I think you're right, Yara. I can't think of someone more likely to die in the near future than Yara. All right. All right, then. We will 
close out on that. I'm going to give thanks and I'm going to do our Patreon credits and then we'll close out with our outro music and, and uh, well, it's really our intro. So thanks to, first off, uh, beside our patrons, I have a, a shout out to, oops, scrolling, scrolling, to at Daenerys the Frenchie, who is a dog. We're giving a spa- first ever shout out to an animal. We do all kinds of shout-outs here mm-hmm. on History of Westeros. Now, we said we'd talk about the trailer spoilers, or the next on spoilers at the end of this episode, but I kind of mentioned the one only one thing I really had to say already. So we'll do that for future episodes. There's just not that much to say this time around, I don't think. And I covered the couple, the only couple of things already. So let me just do the patron credits, and I'll say bye, everybody. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks to everybody in the chat room. Thanks to everybody who asked questions. we got a lot more season left. If you didn't get your question answered this time, plenty more chances later. And we'll hope to see a lot of you with uh, on our Radio Westeros episode. We're going to try to stream that live. We might not. It, there's also some real-world work schedule considerations going on on their end. So we can't exactly predict that. The show, if it's t- tomorrow, is the book to show. If it's a live stream, it's going to be around 6. And we will be po- we'll be settling that very soon. If it's not a live stream, it'll be posted shortly after it's made. Either way, it'll be up tomorrow. Hopefully early. If not, it'll be up late. And the podcast version will be out in about 24 hours following that. So, let's see here. Thanks to the mysterious BR, Hand of the King. Thanks to Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West. Thanks to Lord George Stormsville the Cunning, Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. To Beth the Unfrozen, Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light and Warden of the North. Got a question in today. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. We have Kohokoi, Master of the Bow, called Sunpiercer, who is on her way to wreak more revenge on another deserving person who we will mention in an episode coming soon. That's going to be juicy. We have the Small Council, who have stayed with us for a long time. Our very consistent Small Council consists of... Very consistent Small Council consists of... Come on, man. That's repetitive. <laughs> Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, is our Master of Whispers. Grand Maester Saria of the Barrows is our Cinder of the Citadel, who I saw in the chat today. Lord Robert Jacobs is Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever is Master of Laws. Lord James Tuttle is Master of Ships. Our lords and ladies in their castles include Lady Dyerliz of Castle Naki, the, Af- the Alpha Patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Belt is Breaker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Belt is Lord of Castle Ganges. Mary Meg is Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort. Maybe that's who Sansa will give uh, the Breadfort to. Oh, I'm sorry, the Breadfort to. Maybe they'll rename it the Breadfort. No, she'll tear it down and rebuild it out of, out bread. of bread. Hot Pie will be the chief architect. <laughs> Alicia Everlasting of the Green Blood is Lady of Desert Rose. Got in a question today as well. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawk's Eye and Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed, also got a question in today. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Donhold. Lord Bemmy Snuggle Bunny is Guardian of the Hidden Hundred Acre Werewood and holder of the Vorpal Snuggle Bunny. Lord Osborne of Castle Werewoods, our Rutrandid, got some questions in today as well. Lord Brandon Brewer of Castle Blackrune is sworn sworn Ale Smith to House Stark, Grand Master of the Zithamantra Guild, Keeper of the Buzz. That is one of the harder ones to say, <laughs> but one of the more fun ones as well. Lord Imriel is of House Jordan. Brian the Defender is Lord of the Spear Four and the Freelands. He's last scion, scion of the Clan McCullough. Strength and Courage. And last but not least is the Bastard of the Wolfswood, first forester of the Old Gods, sworn to House Iron Werewood. 
listen for the silence. Also thanks to King's Justice Sir Troy, the steady wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate, as well as Lord Commander Sir Christopher Dane of Starfall, Sentinel of the Torrentine, leading our Kingsguard. And last but certainly not least, the history of Westeros Night's Watch, which is commanded by Daenerys Flint of the Night Fort, avenging the memory of Brave Danny. I believe we have a couple of your questions. Some of them we're saving for the book to show episode. First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastion of Green Shield, got in a question today as well. First Builder Patchface of Motley Wisdom, and First Steward Sir Jurian of the Torrentine Call. Pale Wind is wrapping it up. So thanks again to everybody. If you want to get on Patreon to support the show. You're welcome to do so by going to historyofwesteros.com, clicking on the Patreon link over there on the right side. You can also just give a straight donation if, to- if uh, Patreon isn't for you. We've got a donate button there as well. We've also got Amazon links. You can shop at amazon.com through our links, buying copies of books, buying the audio books, buying all sorts of cool Game of Thrones trinkets, or any shopping. It does not have to be Game of Thrones related at all. Anything you purchase through those links gives a little bit of kickback to us. Help support the show, especially if you're going to buy those things anyway. Might as well help us out. So we've, we appreciate any of the ways that you all support the show, even if it's liking, commenting, subscribing, interacting with us on Twitter, answering questions. All those things count and matter. Writing haikus. Writing haiku. And speaking of Sean's uh, work on the show, we're going to give him his own set of Patreon levels where he's going to do the shout-out. So if you all are interested in that, we're going to be posting that soon. We're going to have the Beard Council and the Beard Guard. So y'all be thinking about which of those you'd like to join. There's a bunch of people in the chat already talking about that before you bring this up and talking about a sigil idea. Okay, well, things are underway without my knowledge then. You guys are ahead of me on this one. And we're also going to work on one for Ashea. But we need to get, um, we need to, apparently we've already got sigil ideas. So we've got got all kinds of things to do. It's going to be a busy season. It's going to be a fun season. Let's leave it at that. I've said enough, Sean. You can never say enough. <laughs> thanks again to everybody. Big thanks to Shea for running things. You're really trying camera. to wrap this up, but we got five and a half more hours. <laughs> well, did I promise eight hours? <laughs> all right, guys. Hopefully we'll see you all tomorrow. For those of you who are going to join us for the book to show, if not, we'll see you all next Monday. Enjoy Sunday's episode of Game of Thrones. Can't wait to talk to you all again. Valar rewatch us. Valar reread us. Valar Morgulis. Valar next week us. <laughs> oh, wait. We didn't. We didn't mention your drink. What were you drinking today? Oh, this is uh, the Berry Naked drink with a Voltage Blue Mountain Dew. It's it's sweet, <laughs> caffeinated, carbonated, and has all kinds of like vitamin A and vitamin C and everything in there. It has like some protein even. Yet it sounds disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> to you. Yeah. The Hound would like it. The members of the Beard Guard will not be forced to drink any of Sean's beverages. But it is not be allowed to drink any of my beverages. Y'all better keep back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, with that, see you next time. Thanks again, everybody. 